Hi, I'm Eric, also known as v 47 from the Ranger Command Power Hour and the Starfleet Escape Podcast. You're listening to another great Four-Eyed Radio product. For more shows, check out foureyedradio.com. It's morphin' time! Wallop and web snappers! My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? I feel my radioactive spider blood. Yes, I'm so glad you're feeling that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to listen to the show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Little bit of business to get to before we dive in. Mm-hmm. If you were wondering if last week had word snappers words, it did. I don't Ooh. know if you guessed them. I hope that you did, or maybe I hope that you didn't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who to root for, us or them. I will say I listened back to the last episode that we had, and I forgot that we had words in them, mm. and I totally like missed it. Like I remember you saying it when we recorded, mm. but then I got to the end of it and I was like, I don't think I heard them this time, but I know that they're there, so I'll have to <laughs> listen again and try to find them. I'm playing along too, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I will I will tell you what to look for because it's time for us to reveal what they were. Submitted by Spider-Girl Gemma Nicole, last week's Word Snapper words were peanut butter for your eyes. <laughs> sure they were. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember exactly when they when they appeared too, but uh, I guess I <laughs> I guess I listened to it a couple times, so that's yeah. an unfair advantage. <laughs> and you're also the one who said it, so you're probably more likely to remember mm, them. Mm. I imagine. But, true. True. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> but thank you for that. If you want to play uh, word snappers with us, there are two ways to play. One is to follow along and guess when there are word snappers words, and guess what they are, and find out later if you are right or wrong. But even more fun is to be someone submitting the words, which you can do by going to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers um, and becoming a $5 or up patron. You'll get access to a secret form where you can submit uh, up to five words, uh, anything you'd like, and we will work them in, such as peanut butter for your eyes. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Patreon, oh, this is weird. We normally do this at the end of the episode, but we're doing it at the beginning of the episode. I hey. wonder why. Maybe because something special is coming up. Hmm. So, so if you're listening to this, it's going to be the very beginning of December. Um, for the month of December, because this is a month typically known as like a time when like holidays and stuff happen. Yeah. Um, a varying varying holidays of varying kinds. Um, you may or may not celebrate one or all of them, but uh, whether you do or don't, we're going to give you a gift anyway. So yeah. 
all of our Patreon-exclusive commentary episodes as of now, up until December 31st, are unlocked for everyone to enjoy. So That's that means everyone. You do not have to be a patron. You have, can have never listened to our show ever, never submitted a single cent, like never even like interacted with us, never even heard of our show before. No matter <laughs> who you are, if you go to patreon.com slash wallowingwebsnappers, all of our commentary episodes that we have done up to this point will be available for you to listen to for the rest of the month. Um, huh. probably, I'll probably put a little post together to compile all of them so they're easier to find, but they will all be there for you to listen to. Hey, Derek. Yeah. What have we commentated on? We have commentated on a few things that are tangentially related to Spider-Man that have come up on our podcast many times, mm-hmm. including RoboCop, the animated series, the Spider-Woman series, which you can now watch on Disney+, Plus. Yeah. Muppet Babies, Jackie Chan Adventures and Gargoyles and soon depending on when the episode goes up versus when this episode comes out we will also have a commentary on Beast Machines so that is six commentary episodes six additional pieces of content from us that I think are really fun and really different for you to listen to you can watch along with us for these or not even if you don't I think all of those episodes have some fun little insights from us um, and about us so we're a little less filtered on there because they're technically our after dark comments commentaries so you'll probably learn a little bit more about us too whether you want to or not (laughs) (laughs) yes so check that out those will be uh unlocked just for the month of december yes yes in the meantime like we said before you probably have disney plus by now or know someone with it that can give you their password (laughs) so that means that you can watch spider-man the animated series again very easily much more easily than you could have for the past year or so so easy and we are finally back to talking about it this is the first show that we did on our podcast and uh, we are now back with the beginning of season two oh we've returned we're back yes yes covering more Uh, uh, this is the first time we've returned to a show (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we've been we've been jumping around, which I think is kind of fun. Our first year of doing stuff has been like a pretty wide variety of Spider-Man stuff across yeah. a wide variety of times. So it's kind of fun now to like kind of circle back to one that, you know, we were already familiar with and we already have kind of a, a, a good idea of and everything and a lot of opinions about. But mm-hmm. and even more interesting is that this season, I think, is really when the show kind of takes a turn to be what people remember it as yeah for better and worse i think mostly for the better though because as we see in both of these episodes they're really just going hard on like let's set up lots of stuff like no more one and done stories we're just gonna keep going forever yep yeah so with that there's there's sort of a lot of um interesting production notes to talk about and some some interview snippets just like we did uh when we were covering the first season the creators of of this series have always been pretty open about it especially John Semper so um it's kind of fun to to learn about like what they were thinking going into this considering how how different the show is going forward so one of the interesting things that i think you will notice going into this season is that they start having these really like long season titles for their season <laughs> arcs things like neogenic nightmare <laughs> like parts one through 45 <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> and every season uh like season two three and four all have one to cover the whole season season five has like a couple of them 
So that's a pretty big departure and still kind of like unlike any other show that I've ever seen has really done something like that. Like I think Mm -hmm. they were really trying to go pretty hard on imitating comic book arcs. Like you're going to have a trade paperback with like the name of that arc on it. So I guess because this was such a new concept of having like seasonal arcs on a kid's show, they wanted to make very, very clear that like, yes, this is going to be one ongoing story. I guess the closest that I can think of is when we get a cartoon that will have a subtitle for just in like specific seasons kind of like uh, maximum venom for example i think is a current one mm-hmm. stuff like that but even then that's you know uh it's not exactly the same thing it's just the closest i can think of because i can't think of another one that does this exactly yeah yeah like actually clearly labeling like like name of of season chapter one like you know mm-hmm. so i i think it's a pretty it's a pretty cool way to do it and i think like i said like it was clear like that this was pretty instrumental in 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 bringing in the idea of serialized stories in kids shows so i think like they needed to have that extra that extra like bit of support to to kind of help like i guess usher that that in that idea mm-hmm. in um and make it more clear um i have like a really it's a long quote from john semper but i really like it because it's such a John Semper quote. <laughs> <laughs> this is some stuff that I think we touched on a little bit last season, but it's very sure. relevant here. Um, he said in an interview with Marvel Animation Age uh, regarding the whole season arc stuff and then the season titles. He said, that was all my idea. <laughs> I, felt, <laughs> I felt very restricted by the half hour format and I had always wanted to play around with something longer. In the 60s, when I first became a hardcore Spider-Man fan, part of the charm of the series was that the stories went on forever. Stan Lee was the first to do a long form comic book with uh continuing storyline and i wanted to do that for saturday morning tv um, exactly what stan did for comics in the 60s everybody was vehemently opposed to the idea network studio etc but i just did it anyway (laughs) Um, i had to wait until the second batch of 13 episodes and then i did it when nobody was paying much attention when they finally realized what i was doing it was too late i made a lot of enemies i'm proud to say (laughs) (laughs) i had the whole series leading up to this big ending and only i knew what that ending was going to be that drove everybody crazy I imagine. <laughs> I uh, I can definitely understand where some of the frustration comes from, but I also really appreciate the fact that he was willing to be like, eh, no one said I was allowed to do this. In fact, they explicitly told me not to, but mm, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially at I this love point, that. it's like, I've got a successful show. Like, what do you, yeah. what, do you what do you want? What are you going to do? Like, right, come, come at me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's like, the ratings don't lie. People are still watching. Mm-hmm. Clearly, I'm doing something right. Yeah. So he's not wrong about that. It's just funny that it's just like, yeah, it was all me, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I dig it. One of the things that I'm most interested in that was probably like, the most important thing to me going into this season was the fact that Peter Parker changes his clothes. Ah, did you mourn for the polo? No, God, (laughs) are you kidding me? This is so much better. It's like worse, but also better at the same time. And I love it. (laughs) So Peter has a new wardrobe this season. It's last for the rest of the show. So no longer does he have his polo. He's still sporting the jeans. He's still sporting like the white tennis shoes. But now he's wearing like a dark, like a muted pink t-shirt and (laughs) a blazer with the sleeves rolled up in full Miami Vice style, which would have already have gone off the air i feel like at this point like a couple years ago and (laughs) i I feel like long before that right (laughs) yeah it's an odd choice especially odder considering the quote that 
got from Bob Richardson, um, where Uh he said, in the case of Peter Parker's wardrobe, the problem was finding some cool and appropriate costuming for Peter that wouldn't look too old fashioned or become a contemporary style that was out of date by the time the series aired. Mm, it was mm, kind of yeah a little bit out of date before the uh, series aired i mean like be fair <laughs> just, just give him a t-shirt like i, uh-huh. I don't understand <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. it says uh, parker's design as it turned out was one of the toughest to finalize and even then we ended up revising it in the second season as we said to make it better quote unquote better <laughs> we felt we could do better than the design we started with and give peter a cooler look i mean it is cooler in the sense that like it's a fashion choice. Like it's more than just a polo. Like he's clearly trying to do something. It's almost it's it's weird though that the goal was to make Peter Parker cooler uh-huh. through his clothing because that seems like almost antithetical to what you would expect at least this Peter Parker to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely like it doesn't fit the character, and I think I'm only not bothered by it at all because I'm just so used to it, having like grown up with it for so long. Yeah, but it's it's a weird choice. Yeah, I can't say that I even really thought about it when I was watching this time. You know, like I it just. I, probably because i'm used to seeing it Mm -hmm. so yeah but it's just like if you see someone if you saw peter parker in real life wearing that outfit it would look weird like that's not (laughs) yeah yeah i also think that like something that they they are running into that maybe they don't even identify is that finding fashion for these particular designs is difficult because every single person they're designing that is like a man is the same shape and they're like enormous gym rat sized people you know what i mean like they're not looking for clothing for normally shaped people (laughs) these are like weird cartoon comic book characters that are so exaggerated that i think everything almost looks a little silly sometimes that's true that's a good point because even if you did just put a t-shirt on this peter he would then still look sort of like john cena wearing a t-shirt you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a good point Every and everybody's everybody's fashion on this show is kind of over designed in a way. Like even like Mary Jane, why is she wearing like a yellow sweater with cowboy boots? Like I don't get it. You know, like it doesn't I don't know. really. Felicia's of... wearing a vest every single day with <laughs> about right. thirteen buttons on it. <laughs> right, it's one of those things where it's sort of like these. You're designing characters where they wear the same costumes every episode, which is fair. It's a cartoon. But it's like, those are the ones you went with, though? <laughs> well, it makes me wonder if, you know, if they thought that these were sort of out-of-time designs, right? Like, they would never look too old, never look too um, out-of-date or too contemporary or whatever. It makes me wonder if I'm going to eventually feel that way about Spectacular. Because I remember when we were watching that, we were talking about how some of those clothing choices are so basic that they're not going to end up really aging mm-hmm. outside of maybe a little bit of fit, right? But that, that can almost be chalked up to style of the show yeah i wonder if that'll end up changing if there's yeah. some day where i'm gonna be like oh long sleeves under t-shirt wow can you imagine yeah i mean because <laughs> i already feel that way about like you mentioned like the fit like i think the bagginess of their pants yeah. feels outdated as it stands yeah but but like you said like i i feel like you it does fit in weirdly with the style of the show because nobody's body proportions are really like realistic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It is, it is interesting. I don't feel like the outfits that they wear in like amazing friends is particularly outdated. Like, I mean, well, no, that's not true. What if like Peter wears bell bottoms, but it doesn't look <laughs> like, it doesn't look like they were trying 
they were trying too hard about it. It looks like they just dressed them like kids dressed at the time. Whereas with this, I know people in the 90s didn't look like this. I know what people in the 90s looked like. They looked right. ridiculous, but like not this version of ridiculous. So it's a clearly a conscious choice. Honestly, Peter's first outfit reflects the 90s more than this outfit does. That's a good point. It does. It almost might have just been a better choice to reflect what people were actually wearing, because then you can always chalk it up to, oh, this is a character from the 90s wearing 90s clothes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Miami Vice thing, I'm just like so, so endlessly perplexed by it. Yeah. Very strange <laughs> choice. Very, very strange choice. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So we have not yet said the title of these episodes, but spoiler alert, there's a six sum and they're not called the Sinister Six. Hmm. And there is some conversation about kind of why that is the case. Um, In this series, they are called the Insidious Six. Um, and reports are conflicting about why that name was actually changed. Uh, many wikis will tell you that Fox thought the word sinister sounded too, well, sinister, and requested that it be changed, uh, but X-Men concurrently had a character named Mr. Sinister. Um, yeah. So they're, I, that one's debatable. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's an alternate story to this that... I've seen places reference having a confirmation for it, but I didn't find the confirmation myself. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just because like it's I'm just not good at searching or something, but I don't know. <laughs> or maybe that post was deleted since then. But I know like Marvel Animation Age, which is a pretty reliable site, like they have a lot of they're where I got a lot of interviews from. They reference a Facebook post specifically from John Semper, which I haven't found, but I believe that he would post stuff like this because he has before. They they cite a Facebook post saying that he said it was his decision to rename the team um, because he felt like it wasn't the true Sinister Six because of how different the roster is from like a typical or original Mm -hmm. roster, um, which was just kind of by the nature of like they weren't allowed to include Sandman and Electro because of that James Cameron movie that we mentioned uh, last time we were talking about this show. They were off limits, and then Craven had already been reformed. Vulture hasn't even appeared yet. So, like, this version of the Sinister Six is basically just, like, piecemeal of any any villains that were still active that have appeared before, um, which they only had, like, one season to work at, off of. So the, the choice was a conscious one to be like, this isn't the real Sinister Six, and I recognize that, so I'm going to call it something different. And then I guess maybe figuring that, that would leave the option open to make the quote unquote real Sinister Six later on down the line, which they never did. But I guess they like left that option open if they wanted to have it. I mean, that's I I'm inclined to believe that because if you had told me to guess what the reasoning would be, it would be very similar to that. Right. Yeah. Like the lineup is so different that I could very easily see somebody being like, mm, let's not call them that because that's something sort of specific. Uh, and this is pretty far from it. Mm hmm. Obviously, yeah. that's not like a rule people follow because there are different iterations of Sinister Six, but I that's what I would have guessed. Yeah, and I guess especially at this point, I know things things kind of go a little crazy with this show after a while in terms of like sticking with the source material. But up to this point, I feel like it's been pretty close to the comics, um, mm-hmm. like consciously so. So it makes sense that like they're not really feeling ready to completely deviate without calling out that they're deviating from something. Sure. Yeah. So makes sense, I guess. Mm-hmm. I agree. Insidious is a little more of a a mouthful than Sinister is, but, you know, is what it is. It's funny, too, because, like, I don't think that Insidious is necessarily a more positive (laughs) word. (laughs) Like, Sinister and Insidious, I mean, they're they're both, like, horror franchises from the past decade. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's That's coloring my... uh, 
my impression, but I, it's it's funny that <laughs> that one of the theories is that sinister sounded too negative, so right. I went with a different word that means a very similar thing. <laughs> Maybe fewer fewer. I, I don't feel like I'd ever heard this word before until I saw the show, so that could yeah, be part of it. <laughs> I guess that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, that's all we got for uh, for production notes this time around. So I guess we can go ahead and get right back into Spider-Man the Animated Series. Ah, oh, let's do it. This it's yeah. it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird because we've taken such a big break, but I'm excited. Yeah, it's good to be back. <laughs> it's weird having seen other stuff to compare it to now, like yes. dissecting it in the same way because it's really highlighting like its strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. um, in 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 particular ways. Most ways that I, I expected though. So yeah, um, it's it's still but it's a, it's still fun to talk about. So this is Spider-Man the Animated Series season two episode one. A full title of this is Neogenic Nightmare Chapter One: The Insidious Six. <laughs> <laughs> um and every title going forward is a mouthful like that <laughs> you know it is sort of uh it, it does remind me of comic books like where you would you'd open a com- or you'd see a comic book it would have the title of the comic book on the front and then open it up and you'd see like the arc title and then like sometimes there might even be a subtitle of like what the issue is called so sure it, it actually is pretty comic booky <laughs> oh yeah no i'm, Part I'm totally five <laughs> right i'm totally here for it yeah. it's just it is funny like doing it the way that we do it when it's just mm-hmm. like this is the long the longest title you ever hear in oh, your life yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the synopsis for this one per imdb is spider-man is beginning to lose his special powers to make things worse kingpin releases chameleon mysterio shocker rhino scorpion and dr octopus from prison this episode originally aired on september 9th 1995 um, and it was written by john semper who's that <laughs> and David Lee Miller uh, is responsible for the teleplay specifically. And Miller, his only writing credit is like, or his only writing credit for this show is this episode. He didn't write any more episodes that he's credited for, at least. Hmm. Um, he doesn't really have a lot of other credits to his name either. The only notable ones, really, he wrote the 1993 film Breakfast of Aliens. Never heard of it. Yeah. He wrote for like a lot of these video game tie-ins in like the 90s and 2000s, um, such as all dogs go to heaven activity center and what, the what, pause. What is that? <laughs> I'm guessing. Do you remember those like cartoon maker things where you would get like moving cartoons that have voice oh. voice clips and you could like put them all together and like into a little okay. scene. Hmm. I'm guessing it's along those lines. Something like that. Okay. Also the weakest link like official video game. Oh, what yeah. a slice of a very particular piece of TV history. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Other than that, he's 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 done a lot of like um writing and directing for like short films. Uh, most recently he has uh, a film in pre-production now called A Boy and His Dog. I'm not sure oh. if it's a short film or a full film or not. Hmm. Yeah. And as usual, just to throw it out there, because we mentioned it um, for the first season, Bob Richardson directs every single episode, so we're not don't have to name him every time. <laughs> yes, yes. So just know that um, mm-hmm. there are a few characters introduced in this episode um, that are worth mentioning that we haven't necessarily seen before. Um, the first of which is Silvermane. And Silvermane, as we will see, is one of the one of the many crime lords of New York. <laughs> we are now seeing that there are many of them. Mm-hmm. And he is portrayed by the late Jeff Corey. Um, and Jeff Corey, I should mention, like, is certainly like worth mentioning for his acting. He became sort of notable in the 40s and 50s as a character actor. But I was particularly fascinated 
because of the sort of like historical context of when he was acting and what part of history he ended up participating in as a result. So um, after he had already established himself in Hollywood, uh, Jeff Corey was blacklisted from working there for over a decade as a result of being summoned for the infamous House Un-American Activities Committee and refusing to participate or cooperate. Wow. So Jeff, yes, yes. So Jeff Corey would readily admit like, yeah, I used to run in sort of like, quote, red circles or communist circles, but I never really got all that involved. And I've since stopped really associating with any of that because I wasn't all that into it. And so when he was summoned before that committee, Um, He just was like, I'm not giving you anything like there's no way. Basically, if you're not aware, this was all to try to to identify um, out and sort of shun and punish um, potential communist uh, party USA members or sympathizers Mm -hmm. in the late 50s, early 60s, I think is sort of when that all happened. I think probably solidly the 60s. And it resulted in um, probably a couple hundred or a few hundred uh, folks being straight up blacklisted from working in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It originally was like pretty tight, but it it kind of fell apart pretty quickly. I mean, people still hired these folks in in various roles. <laughs> yeah, and I think a, a lot of it would be like they would be their their basis for like accusing them for being un-American or like being part of like the red circles were just being like deviance in one like sexual deviance yep. so you get a lot of like queer people and like just anyone like in the yeah. theater who you know a very like and these spaces that are generally like we're, we're pretty like pro deviancy because it's the art the arts you know yeah that was sort of the gateway so that's you get a lot of um a lot of like really rampant like homophobia oh, and stuff yeah led like was connected to this it was very messy because it, it would just sort of be a self-perpetuating cycle where you'd bring in these people who weren't necessarily even the right people to bring in or you're bringing them in for the wrong reasons. And so then they wouldn't give you any useful information, right? Mm-hmm. And then they just decided that because you weren't giving them useful information, you were certainly guilty. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm here. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's like kind of a fascinating, um, terrible, but fascinating thing. Yeah. I, I There's a really – I would recommend – if you like aren't interested in like nonfiction but still are like curious about it, this is gonna sound like a really weird poll, but it's actually it's it was one of my favorite things I read this year. The Snagglepuss comics oh. I think that came out in twenty sixteen. It's it was a limited run, so you yeah. can read the whole story in one trade. It takes place like during like the Red Scare and it like deals really heavily with, with this stuff. Nice. And it's a really great, I think, fictionalization and they kind of go into like the like trials and hearings about it and like what happened to a lot of the actors that were involved and like what caused mm-hmm. them to be involved. Um and that's kind of like the 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 main conflict of the story. And it's actually like huh. really, really compelling and really well done. Um yeah. so if you're like interested in that content, that's a really great fictionalization of, of what was happening then. I, I will have to find that because that sounds really, really awesome. Yeah, it's it's really great. Yeah, in, in Jeff Corey's case, he he basically I mean, he was called in for – he was actually one of the people who was called in probably for the, uh, quote, appropriate reasons, um, but he just did not 
like he just <laughs> just stood up to it and was like this is all ridiculous you know mm-hmm. like this it's this is a joke um and so it resulted in him being officially blacklisted for i think it was 12 years um so what he did instead was he taught acting um and he taught acting to incredibly famous people i mean the list is huge and the names are enormous um but some of the folks that he taught or who attended classes of his were jack nicholson bruce lee jane fonda rita morena leonard nimoy barbara streisand and tons and tons and tons of others yeah it is a it is an impressive list (laughs) (laughs) he did return to acting following the blacklist a lot of what he was doing he i mean he he still did films but a lot of what he was doing was television um and he kind of continued to do sort of uh character actor type stuff um as opposed to doing any sort of like leading a television series or, or things like that interesting yeah, and despite voice acting on this show, um, he appeared almost entirely on screen. Um, so I'm not really sure how he ended up doing this, but I'm yeah. glad he did because I yeah. like him a lot. Yeah, I mean, like we kind of had said before in some of the earlier episodes, they seem to be really interested in getting these like kind of old school, like classical actors mm-hmm. into these voice roles. So we've we've run into this a few times where they're actors who are not voice actors, and it's not in the same way that like nowadays you'll get like well-known actors to do a voice role just like for the name like the right. people that kids watching have will have never heard of it's just like the voice cast to the, or the uh, the casting director was just like i really like this actor when i yeah. grew up watching their shows in the 50s so i'm gonna gonna put him in my show now yeah yeah and it, it's it's worked out for this show for sure yeah um, yeah i can't think of any instances we've run into where it's like oh maybe they shouldn't have done that <laughs> right and I do think a lot of these folks, just by the nature of when this show happened and when they would have been acting, may have dabbled in radio. I know Jeff Corey certainly did. So um, it probably lends itself a little bit. That makes sense. Yeah. Another character introduced in this episode is Michael Morbius, mm. uh, <laughs> portrayed by Nick Jameson. He's credited for like additional voices and a lot, a lot of properties. So one of those like kind of background voice people. Mm-hmm. But uh, still, still an important contributor to to these uh, to a lot of like large video game properties, like um, the Final Fantasy thirteen trilogy, uh, Mass Effect three, a bunch of Star Wars video game entries, as well as Ultimate Spider Man and Spider Man Shattered Dimensions. He also, in live action, portrayed the Russian president Yuri Suvorov in three seasons of 24 and voiced Emperor Palpatine in the, um, shit, how do you say it? It's Yendi, right? Yendi Tartoskovy? Tar- oh, I don't know. If it is Yendi, I said it wrong last time, so I'm not sure. Or Ye- uh, Yendi Tartos- Tartoskovy's series i'm not even gonna say it again everyone will just hear my shame um he's he's an amazing creator he deserves to have his name pronounced correctly and i failed i'm sorry um his his uh version of star wars clone wars before the current one yes which i have had on hold at the library for so long i just want to watch it already (laughs) i never saw it i remember when it came out i never watched it uh, I want to watch it so bad, and I'm I'm pretty sure it is not included in Disney Plus. No, it's not. Which is very sad because yeah. I love I love the Clone Wars that we did end up getting a whole lot, but I really like him. So yeah, I have to imagine that it's it's very good, even if it didn't last very long. Yeah. And then the last character that um, is worth mentioning, because I know we will see him um, many times uh, after this, is Hammerhead, who is portrayed by the late Nikki Blair. Um, Nikki Blair does appear in a handful dozen movies or so, um, mostly in bit parts. I know he appeared in Rocky V, I think, as 
like a club promoter and I think he was in Godfather Part 3 in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really interesting about Nicky Blair, I think, is that he owned and operated a high-end restaurant called Nicky Blair's on Sunset Boulevard in the 80s and 90s that was apparently like a really popular destination for celebrities and I guess a big piece of that sort of celebrity clientele was the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And there, you know, there are all kinds of stories of like, you know, Frank Sinatra doing this or that at that restaurant, which is just, it's fascinating to me. Like he just feels like uh, someone who fits into that. Like, uh, (laughs) I'm not surprised he's in, he's a character in the Godfather. (laughs) And so I just imagine like the, uh, the uh, sort of outrageous things that probably happened at this restaurant that uh, we're just not even privy to because we're like peons <laughs> and would never be able to get in, you know, like, <laughs> right. Right. So I'm just kind of fascinated by like what this restaurant is and it, that you know, it only lasted as long as he was alive. So it doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't exist in its, in the same capacity anymore. Huh. That is so fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they get some interesting people for this show. Yep. For in these episodes, their roles are not that big. Like, they're... nope. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I would love to hear how those conversations happened or how they right. ended up, you know, involved. And like, do you, are, are are they auditioning or is it literally just like they're they're just asked to do this you know like i can't imagine that somebody like jeff Corey auditioned or yeah. somebody like i mean we have plenty of folks that we've talked about that i just i'm i struggle to imagine they auditioned for these roles as opposed to just being like hey i'm wondering if you want to appear on my show yeah. i love you you know what i mean like yeah. it would be such an honor <laughs> yes <laughs> man that's the kind of stuff that i would love to ask like in an interview to someone like i don't know yeah. who who all would know other than like the casting director and the showrunner but like mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff where it's just like what how <laughs> like what what now <laughs> like, right right because unless unless those people sort of volunteer that information on a special feature or just because you know they're really active or something we don't necessarily know that so we don't we don't have the same information for these readily available that we did for like Spider-Verse where you have Lord and Miller basically saying like, oh, this was our dream cast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, so curious. Yeah. Uh, anyway, as for the episode itself. Yeah. Let's get started. Back mm-hmm. into the 90s. Back uh. into 1995. Yes. So uh, the episode opens with Spider-Man pretty much immediately discovering that his powers are on the fritz he's doing this while like just kind of recapping not even really recapping just referencing his like two main relationships that he was trying to pursue in the first season and like failing miserably at which were felicia hardy and mary jane watson of course um and his lamenting his ability to like get close to them or really anyone in his life um mm-hmm. essentially because his superpowers uh make uh make him like basically give him a bunch of enemies and force him to keep secrets so um which the superpowers are like okay dude then we're just gonna stop working and he just yeah falls right off the building. <laughs> I, I think he also you know like the the peter parker from the first season that is uh uh, sort of like weird with with girls isn't like totally gone yet because I think he even says at one point also like who would love somebody who crawls on walls and is a spider or something like weird like that or I'm like oh my gosh Peter like, Dude, you're you're a hunk like you're yeah you're also gigantic. ripped like come on man <laughs> yeah but but it's it's a kind of a funny way to open it up mm-hmm. and it it certainly 
I don't remember the details of these particular elements of the story, but it's it's an interesting way to open up the second season, knowing that it's going to be a longer story because it puts it right in your face. This idea of like, okay, well, we've established these two relationships. This is probably going to be resolved or be a major point of conflict or both uh, throughout right. this this season, right. uh, I would imagine. So mm-hmm. We also get the return of one of the best characters from the first season in that opening scene. Mm-hmm. Bruce the Gargoyle. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, what's funny is the interaction that he has with Bruce was so kind of similar to the, the one I remembered. I was like, am I watching the right episode? <laughs> 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 but yeah, I'm so glad that Bruce is back. Uh-huh. Uh, well, elsewhere in the city, while Peter is befuddled by his flickering powers um kingpin is meeting with um his fellow crime lords i guess it's so funny to me because they're all just like sitting around a table and he's like fellow crime lords <laughs> i don't know if that's how crime lording works um but i guess it could i, I have no idea i guess so but basically they're like getting together to celebrate a profitable criming year like like kingpin's like, citing like sh- they it's a whole crime lord like organization like it sounds like like are they sharing their crime lord winnings in this like how can you this it doesn't really it's like a board of directors essentially yeah what are you directing crime like (laughs) yeah i'm not sure because they they make a couple strange references to sort of a larger structure because what's happening in this meeting in particular is kingpin like citing statistics uh like basically business statistics but about like crime is up 43 percent, and that's great and some of the crime lords are like yeah that is great and then others are like well it's not that great because kingpin spider-man's still running free in your area and this is what was interesting to me silvermane specifically says like you losing control of your territory is bad for all of us yeah and you're losing our respect because you can't keep your shit together basically I'm not really sure. I think he mentions the cartel at some at some point. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's referencing. Like, I have no idea yeah, what I, their sort of structure is supposed to be um, or how their sort of crime syndicate works. Yeah, I guess the syndicate is probably the best way to describe it, though, because no, I'm thinking back like to the Hobgoblin episodes, mm-hmm. and they're pretty firmly established that, like, Kingpin has connections to criming things all over the world basically like to the point that like it seems like a myth to anyone who's not actively involved in it so like i guess it wouldn't be far to believe that like he is still the kingpin of crime but the way that he is the kingpin of prime is by like striking deals with like these other old old school crime lords that still exist and are essentially like hey if we like exchange this information or if like you give me like this percent of your profits from this particular thing you're doing we can all still work together and you'll have like protection from my guys or access to my resources or something yeah i like the idea of it a lot because basically what it is is if you imagine a map of new york assuming these are all new york crime lords right and a map of new york that you look up on you know an atlas is going to be split in certain ways geographically mm-hmm. based on how we organize things, but then overlay a map of like crime Lord <laughs> borders and stuff. And you get a whole different map. They all have their own territories. It's like essentially a different micro government for each crime Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and naturally you're going to have alliances there and deals and politics and all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't remember how much of that is woven into this. And so I, I'm 
I'm like curious to know more and I, I hope we get it. I'm not, I just don't know if we do. I can't, I can't recall. Cause I don't think that's something that I would have paid a ton of attention to as a kid. Yeah. I think they're definitely just trying to evoke the general like sense that you'd get from any like board of directors scene. Like Kingpin yeah. is the big boss and they are not super happy with him as the big boss. And they're thinking of staging a coup one way or another. And that's pretty much what we see play out in these two episodes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes tons of sense. Well, Kingpin responds to this, uh, this lack of confidence by saying, I don't know what you guys are so worried about. I'm already working on getting rid of Spider-Man. Check it out. <laughs> and then we cut to his plan. And his plan first involves like a little tiny, cute little beetle drone. That's yeah. Makes, it's like kind of evoking the, the, the same aesthetic as the spider slayers. So I actually <laughs> yeah. appreciate that they're kind of staying in line with that. But a little ble- beetle drone sneaks into a maximum security prison where Chameleon is sleeping. A cute little beetle drone is holding Chameleon's uh, transformation belt. Um, and gives it to him, including a message from Smythe with instructions. The way that he breaks out is by um, using his uh, transformation device to turn into the warden. So when, like, the uh, a security guard passes by, he's like, whoa, warden, how are you, what are you doing in there? Which bothers me because <laughs> why aren't these employees of this max security prison housing supervillains, like, instructed on what these villains potential powers and plans would be because at this point i'm sure the chameleon's been there for like a couple of months like i don't know how much time it's been since the last episode but i'm sure it's been a significant amount of time and his first thought when he sees the warden just sitting alone in a locked <laughs> cell where the guy who can shapeshift is even if supposedly that shapeshifter doesn't have his shapeshifting technology anymore your first thought should have been maybe this is the shapeshifter shapeshifting into mm-hmm. the warden <laughs> like yeah. feels like there was a bit of oversight that that his bosses like missed there <laughs> like some training that should have happened i have a lot of questions about this prison based solely on these uh, this escape. <laughs> oh yes. Oh, I have more. This so was like many questions. the least of the least of the questions here. <laughs> yeah, I would say two of these prisoners were handled correctly. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh yes. Out yes. of six. Uh-huh. <laughs> Speaking of, so when we, the chameleon does free himself through this like confusing the, the situation, he frees like three other prisoners. So. This is where the, the, the this is where is. my first question comes in. Uh huh. So first of all, Matt Gargan, one of the prisoners, not in a scorpion costume, not like in the midst of any sort of mutation, which mm-hmm. hit the whole plot of his episode, his whole story was predicated on a permanent, irreversible mutation that has him stuck. I thought stuck in this scorpion costume with like a like permanent like upscaling of his of his abilities and like i don't know like i think he was like slightly reverted back from his uh scorpion mutation like green fanged version mm-hmm. but like he still should have been like mostly scorpion but he's totally human yep. matt gargan and has it's to put a his scorpion suit on and is excited to excited to put his scorpion suit on the thing mm-hmm. that he was desperate to reverse so mm-hmm. what the heck has happened in between episode six and now we missed a a big a big thing happen here apparently oh yes lots of therapy apparently i guess so (laughs) (laughs) we also see quentin beck who is also just a guy this is of the four that i think weren't handled correctly in this prison i guess quentin beck is the one that i could most easily move into the category of like all right i guess you handled him okay sure 
because for the most part, Quentin Beck is just a guy. Yeah. So if you can take, if you can ensure all of his technology is gone and that he can't access any other technology, you've pretty much neutralized him. Right. Still wouldn't put Quentin Beck in a regular cell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then this next one. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't understand at all. Oh, I, I understand. I understand the meta of it completely. <laughs> uh, well, I think I understand the meta of it, but it's shocker. And when Chameleon is like running up to each cell, he's like, Mac Gargan, like full name, Quentin Beck, full name. And then he's like, shocker. And you're like, that's weird that you don't give him a name. And then they show him in a cell and he's in his suit in his cell. Not only that, he's in his, in his like yellow, um, yeah. like uh, costume, but wearing a prison uniform over his costume. Yeah, as if his body looks like that. <laughs> Which we know that it doesn't because later on it's a major plot point that it's a costume. Right. So, <laughs> so when I first saw this, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, that's a bizarre, bizarre take. But I thought about it and I was like, I guess we never got any sort of background for Shocker. So I guess this is their sort of way of being like, uh, we're just not going to address it. And he will just continue to be like this this mysterious unidentified being called shocker and we can sort of tie in some sort of weird permanent mutation or defect to it which still wouldn't make sense because scorpion is just now a guy in a suit like (laughs) shocker is right i don't i don't understand what i don't get it i get it and i don't get it it's they didn't want to draw they they have a lot to do in this episode they're introducing a lot of characters and they have a lot of complicated character designs to deal with they didn't want to create another like character model to be used for like three seconds. I guess I can get that part of it. The thing is, like, he just needs to look like a generic guy for a second. Like, you could have pulled any any yeah. mo- any any character model from your character sheets that you already had from background characters, paste the face on there, and it'll be fine. Or just keep him in the shadows or something. You could have like it angled from like his point of view when Camellia opens the door. It'd be like Shocker or Herman Schultz or whatever you want to call him. And then yeah. he's just like in the background, in the shadows until he puts a suit on. Like you don't have to get a close up of his face or anything. Yeah. There's ways they could have worked around it pretty easily, I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I don't it's so strange because I I get why they don't want to spend time introducing him, but they don't need to completely <laughs> pretend there's no face under there. Because well, it ends up <laughs> highlighting it. It even it would have been less distracting by just throwing out his real name yeah. and not calling it out. Like at, because of this, it's sort of like what? <laughs> like yeah. you're, it just calls attention to it. Is all it yeah. does. It's bizarre. very strange. And even more attention to it later, which I can't wait to get to. <laughs> what? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, then those three plus Chameleon, of course. Proceed to free Rhino and Doc Ock, who are the prisoners that are actually handled correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rhino is in like a massive armored cell, and Doc Ock is in the kind of prison cell that I think we've seen in other iterations too, where his tentacles are basically um, all anchored to a different part of the wall, fully expanded, and he kind of is stuck in the middle, can't go anywhere. I think they showed it in the end of his introductory episode too. I think that's where his oh, cell yeah. was. So mm-hmm. yeah, I like that. But actually, this 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 um these two episodes are pretty real good with like a like little references from the continuity from the first season. I will say, yeah. um, and that's one of them. And I think yeah, they they handled that perfectly fine. Doc Ock in general, I think, is handled really well in this episode. Actually, yes, um, I both agree. Of these episodes. It's. I feel like they they spent lots of time getting him right and like probably just ignored some of the other characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, this is just one other note. Like, this isn't, like, a positive or a negative. I just think it's interesting that throughout this whole sequence of events, while Chameleon is in the cop, the security guard form, mm-hmm. like, he's super snarky and sarcastic and dropping these little, like, witticisms the entire time, <laughs> which is just so funny for, like, a completely silent character. It's just like when he's wearing someone else's face, he's going to be as, as witty as Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he kind of carries that throughout this episode. Um, and obviously because he uses in this series, he uses the voices of the people that he impersonates. Mm-hmm. The voice actors for the characters he impersonates do their own voices. Mm-hmm. So it ends up being very, very sort of camouflage because it's literally just the same people doing their characters. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah, so they they all they all uh, are free and together they escape the prison and they hop into an armored helicopter and fly away. Mm-hmm. After dodging a bunch of purple lasers. Oh yeah, you know, as as most security guards have. Of course. <laughs> um, the helicopter brings them to a warehouse where the voice of the uh, kingpin announces himself as their new leader. Which thing I love. <laughs> Doc Ock immediately is like, "No, <laughs> like, yeah. no, what? Not gonna no. happen. I am my own leader, man. I am mm-hmm. my own island." Uh, which I appreciate. I think it's totally in character. And everybody's reactions actually are really on point. Like Rhino and Shocker both know kingpins. So they're all yeah. like, "Sure, Scorpion." acts all like manly and everything at first until he learns he's the kingpin and then being a petty thug who's always wanted to like move up in the crime world he's excited he changes his tune and is very excited to join the kingpin mm-hmm. and it's really just like doc ock is um is like the and, and mysterio i think is a little iffy yeah. but he's i mean he kind of seems to go with the flow with stuff Mysterio like. is like the guy who he, I think he's sort of like testing the water and pushing the line a little bit whereas yeah. like doc ock is like no yeah. Mysterio, I think his first reaction is like, what if I have my own plan? You know, like whether he has a plan or not. <laughs> right, right. To which the reply is like, you've had it before and it failed. So <laughs> oh, that was so funny. I love that. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I, but I do like the way that uh, Kingpin like essentially, essentially gets Doc Ock to agree is basically like Kingpin's like, okay, well, if I'm your leader, like. I'll give you science stuff. And Doc Ock's like, <laughs> science, hell yeah. Right, okay. immediate hard eyes. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, as you know, I do love science. Yes, indeed. The way to my heart immediately. <laughs> Shiny new lab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, later um, at the butt crack of dawn, uh, Spider-Man believes that his powers have returned to him because he spent an entire night um, using them in search of the escaped prisoners. He didn't find them, though, which he knows is suspicious because six superpowered prisoners committing no crimes uh, is pretty weird, mm-hmm. um, especially because he knows who they are. Like, he knows Rhino is one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, yeah, nowhere to be seen. So uh, just as he begins to sort of, like, accept, like, all right, well, I, I guess I can't keep searching, but I'm glad my powers are back, uh, his powers stop working. <laughs> Oh, Which uh-oh. we can kind of expect at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love like the mundanity that it causes because his big conflict now, after losing his powers, is like he falls to the ground and he's like, "My clothes are on a really high ledge because that's where I keep them safe, and now I, I can't get to them, so I have to like sneak back to my house on foot in my Spider-Man costume." Mm-hmm. Which is just like it's such like a silly like minor conflict, but like. It's completely uh, justified and yeah. amped up by the situation. I love it. Yeah. No, I like that detail a lot. 
um because it's realistic and a little bit funny mm-hmm. <laughs> um well he does he does end up making it home um and largely avoiding detection well, with the use of a large blanket uh covering his suit <laughs> but uh aunt may you know says you look very pale are you sure you're okay yada 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 i think you're sick always oh yeah um oh peter yeah oh peter you're so pale and sends him to bed which he's happy to do because he spent the whole night uh awake so he thinks he's gone to sleep for a couple hours i think we see the clock go from like i don't know 7 a.m to like 9 30 a.m or something Mm -hmm. like that but it turns out that when he goes downstairs despite feeling really really great because he thinks his powers are back again aunt may breaks the news oh no 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 like you slept all day yesterday it's it's the next day I kind of tried to wake you up a little bit. <laughs> God, what a what a nightmare! Like, yeah, right. Oh God, a couple of notes about this, Peter. So Peter, like, to crash, he undresses out of his Spider-Man costume, understandably, but puts on his jeans with a belt to go to sleep. <laughs> I sleep okay. with a belt all the time. It's super uh, comfortable. <laughs> uh, and then the breakfast that Aunt May is like really upset that Peter like runs out without eating is just a stack of bread. And coffee. <laughs> like it doesn't even look like toast it just looks like raw slices of bread on yeah. a plate <laughs> yeah very sad bread <laughs> i can see why he skipped it right <laughs> <laughs> so um peter realizes that he is late for dr connor's class because his classes are on thursdays which it is now when we cut to dr connor's class before he even gets there we see like the connor's connor's is like announcing this competition for his class this is it's weird but it's very strange He's he's talking about how great Neogenics is and how important it is. And the winner of this, like, competition, um, well, the competition is essentially creating the best Neogenics experiment. Um, then the winner, on the condition that the experiment scores an ESU grant, will become Connors' permanent research assistant, um, which is a big deal to these science nerds, understandably. So Deborah and Michael Morbius, who we've just met, they are, like, totally gung-ho about this and being being science nerds about it. And, of course, Peter shows up super late and kind of misses all this, but I guess gets filled in just in time for both of them to make fun of him for being late. Yes, yes. This competition thing is so weird because I could understand saying, like, hey, I understand lots of you are applying to be my assistant, so, like, this will be your interview. But the fact that it requires they actually score the grant feels... Kind of gross, Dr. Uh, Connors. <laughs> and it all makes more sense for, like, a science club, not a science class you're taking for a grade, because that seems unethical in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Connors. Rethink that one. <laughs> he must be very desperate. Like, after the whole lizard and scorpion debacle. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, which I, and I appreciate that bit of continuity again because they they do they sort of mildly reference the lizard thing later, but they also clearly like reference Doctor Stillwell from the Scorpion episode mm-hmm. as being instrumental in it, even though he's not really a major character or anything. They're at least like keeping that in in your mind that like Neogenics is connected to all of the stuff that we've seen so far. Oh yeah, Neogenics is everything, uh-huh. <laughs> as Connors kind of says as we get close CGI zoom in on molecules of sorts. Anytime they go really deep into, like, the science stuff, like, visually, it's just, like, it's just random either molecules or cells. Like It's the same ones every yeah. time. I'm pretty sure that's what Prometheum X looks like, too. Perfect. <laughs> that's how science is. 
We're all built out of the same materials. We're yes. all stardust. We all look yeah. the same at a molecular level. Exactly. If you zoom in enough. <laughs> right. That's what neogenics is, I guess. <laughs> well, so as Deborah and Michael are making fun of Peter for being late because they're, they're children. Twelve? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Felicia basically like rescues him from this conversation um, because Michael is being like kind of weird. This is it's a strange scene because Michael Morbius is definitely saying weird things. Mm -hmm. But the scene itself is like definitely just like strange Eastern European xenophobia. Oh, God, it's gross. It's gross. He references that in his country they eat tortoises. Yeah. I know that that is a delicacy like in some places. Sure. But it feels like just a he throws it out like a like a threat like essentially yes. and it's yes. just yeah it feels it's it to feels make gross. him threatening it's to make him spooky or scary or something yeah. that peter should be wary of um which is a thing on its own but when felicia sort of rescues peter from this conversation she calls him um does it... she's like what b what b movie did he come from yes and then peter calls him dracula which we know is a reference but like mm-hmm. is also but you know peter doesn't know that peter just knows that he's from somewhere in Eastern Europe and is pale with black hair. So yeah. he's just it's, I mean, it's very weird is, and uncomfortable. He is also <laughs> doubling down on like the giant black trench coat too. True. Like, <laughs> like he's True. totally going with the stereotype, but it's still all a little weird. You know what it is? Peter, you know, he was bullied so much in high school. Um, it could have gone one of two ways. You know, he could find empathy for for the people who are different, or he could turn into the bully himself. He saw a goth kid, and he said, "Now's my chance. I'm going to take that goth kid down." <laughs> it's like the one, the one, the one stereotype that's like a tier below the science nerd, the goth, yeah, the goth. What are you, some kind of vampire? <laughs> <laughs> well, God, yeah. the topic of Felicia's conversation um, is that she wants Peter to join her at the opening of her mother's new science center. And she explains it as, I need somebody like you, Peter, who can help me understand what's going on because I don't know what all this stuff is. Peter, though, being the weirdo around girls that he is, <sighs> is like, is this a date? And she's like, I, Peter, stop. And he's like, no, is it a date, though? Because if it's a date and she's like, fine, whatever, call it whatever you want. Then he agrees. He only he agrees. He literally fist pumps. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. it's a date. Like, oh, my God, dude. Right. Oh, my God. You're gross and also, like, a giant dork. Like, you're, <laughs> you're, ev- you're everything wrong. Like, you're, you're all doing it all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Every part of it you did wrong. <laughs> it's just, like, just do your friend the solid, Peter. Like, right. she's just asking you for a solid. And right. you can't do that without it being called a date. She right. technically never even agreed that it was a date, I will point out. Uh-huh. She just said, call it whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do. I appreciate Felicia's snark in both of these episodes. Yes. She's just like, understandably just fucking done with him at this point. And I'm glad that she's not like pitying him even one bit anymore. So Felicia is actually in this series a great example of what can be done positively or negatively with a character on screen and how you represent them. Because Felicia is a character I like as an adult a lot, but I don't think I liked her as a kid. And I think that says a lot, right? Because she Uh was sort of, she was portrayed as a sort of stuck up, quote, like kind of hard to get type character but as an adult i just see her as like an individual who is asking completely reasonable things and being sort of cornered into these awkward situations by peter uh-huh. and it's it's 
only because I'm watching it now as an adult that I don't still have that image of Felicia in my head from the show. Not everybody's going to go back and watch it. So there's still a bunch of people who are like, oh, Felicia, she was like kind of a stuck up gross, you know, tease. (laughs) Yep. So I don't know. Just do it well the first time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Sort of luckily, I guess, Flash like breaks up this awkwardness. (laughs) It's just like one awkward conversation after another being broken up by another person (laughs) who you're not even really that happy to see, but you're just happy they're there because the conversation's ending. (laughs) At least it's a different conversation, even if it's like an equally (laughs) awkward and aggressively annoying one. Um, In this case, he just like runs up and is just like... Like, oh, my God, like, uh, Peter, like, your boss is being so mean to Spider-Man. And he just essentially, like, gives the exposition that all of the villains have teamed up to become what Jameson has deemed the Spider-Man 6. Because as we see, Spider-Man, which we figure is Chameleon, is is leading this merry band of villains to just, like, destroy everything and just commit all sorts of crimes and knock buildings down and stuff. Yes, exactly. Um, So naturally, Peter's like, oh, no, we can't let that happen. Although it is, I should point out, Flash makes a joke that's funny to us because we know uh, everything. He says, like, what, have you been sleeping the past 24 hours? And we're like, <laughs> yeah, he was. That's funny. Good job, uh-huh. Flash. <laughs> but, of course, Peter's like, oh, no, we can't let this happen. So Spider-Man, like, immediately goes to the site of where um, a live crime is being committed, I guess, and confronts the six. We get confirmation that Chameleon is, in fact, the one impersonating Spider-Man obviously but spider-man sort of realizes like oh shoot i just like jumped into a fight against like four people at once mm-hmm. i think it's chameleon rhino shocker and scorpion mm-hmm. um and so he's like i should probably rethink this and he tries to sort of retreat from that scenario or at least change the environment but instead he pretty much falls immediately into the arms and tentacles of mysterio <laughs> and doc ock so failed escape there buddy uh-huh. When the Scorpion first pops up, he tells Spider-Man to eat ass, Sid Spider-Man. Yes, he there does. <laughs> 100% a pause there. Uh-huh. But unfortunately, Spider-Man is on an acid-free diet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. He also, he protests too much. <laughs> right. Also, so... Well, I guess this, this, there's a lot of good lines in, in, this, uh, in this sequence. But after eating acid, um, the six uh, <laughs> do like, start to gain the upper hand, like we were kind of saying. But uh, Stock, Ock, and Scorpion start to bicker because um, they're kind of getting in each other's way. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote it down because I love it. Doc Ock yeah. calls Scorpion a pea-brained, uncoordinated, absurdly dressed excuse for a man, to which the Scorpion replies, Who are you calling absurdly dressed? <laughs> which works on so many levels yep <laughs> doc ock is also absurdly dressed arguably mm-hmm. more absurdly dressed than scorpion given he doesn't need to be wearing that costume correct <laughs> and also the fact that out of all of his insults that's the only thing that scorpion calls out is being absurdly dressed <laughs> yes <laughs> it is important to note that though because this becomes a continuing conflict the two of them do not get along and will continue to not get along. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just like in this case, it allows Spider-Man to find an opening um, and sort of like jump away a little bit and sort of gain his footing again. Mm -hmm. He like falls, they they like create a giant crater. They like break like a legit hole into the ground. Yeah. I feel like, (laughs) I don't know how this happens. It's really not that important. I don't know why I'm focusing on it, but I'm pretty sure they break a hole in the ground with like, 
scorpion's tail. I guess so. I mean, I guess it's <laughs> strong, but it's like asphalt and like it's the ground. Like it's not, <laughs> like cars drive on it every day. Like that shouldn't be. If if it yeah. was that easy, then that's terrifying. Oh gosh, we're all just one step away from falling into the earth. Oh God, don't say that. <laughs> I'm on the third floor, and I think about that in my shower sometimes. I'm like, what if it just collapses and I just this yeah. is how I die, wet happen. and naked, like falling into another family? Like that's. <laughs> I mean, that aside from the falling into another family, that was my life for a week. <laughs> well, they were like, oh, by the way, like, don't go in your shower because we're not oh, sure how strong the floor is. <laughs> oh, God. That's true. Oh, uh, so I know. We're all know. just inches away from death all the yeah. time. Is pretty we're much coping through to. jokes, uh-huh. but we're all terrified. <laughs> oh, God. We could die at any moment. Anyway, true. so when he falls through the ground, he lands on a very um uh nicely timed um subway train going by he lands on it um yes. so that also escapes so you know he's losing his powers by this point so he needs every bit of help that he can get so he just kind of like falls limp onto the top of the subway train mm-hmm. so scorpion jumps down to pursue him but uh spidey like disappears and then scorpion just like gets hit by a pole as the subway train is is going by and falls off and never finds him um, classic we, Right. And we see that the way that Spider-Man escaped was by changing back into civilian clothes, which he monologue, he, he narrates like internally saying that like, oh, thank goodness I kept my clothes in a web sack with me this time. What? Where? <laughs> I don't know. But I think that Spider-Man should have a web fanny pack. I think that so many problems would be solved if he just always wore a fanny pack. I know. Both narratively and in universe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm down with that. I don't. Yeah. Here's the thing, though, is that I know that there are definitely times in this show when we see him swinging around with a web sack. So mm-hmm. it's like very conspicuous that his giant ass blazer <laughs> and jeans <laughs> that were could not be compressed very well yeah. were just in his skin tight suit somehow. Like, mm. come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So many questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> So after he escapes on that subway, Spider-Man is really determined to figure out what's going on with his powers. Because obviously, when six supervillains escape, you need them. And this is a terrible time for them to act up. So he visits Dr. Connors um, and learns that, according to Dr. Connors, his DNA structure is changing. Dr. Connors does a bunch of tests we get a little bit of a short origin story flashback where we see that the you know the neogenics guy again mm-hmm. and connor's explains that these patterns that he's looking at through the tests imply neogenics are involved mm-hmm. he says your dna may have mutated permanently for all i know your powers will be gone forever and this makes peter sad mm-hmm. momentarily <laughs> <laughs> it is peter parker after all right Uh, Because if he doesn't have powers, he can have a normal life. And we saw at the beginning of this episode, he was lamenting the fact that he can't have a normal life. So he has a sad because, you know, his powers are going to be gone. And then he has a happy because he's like, oh, wait, I can go on dates and stuff. (laughs) Oh, shoot. I was supposed to be on a date this whole time. Oh, God. Get, your, get yourself a calendar, boy. Yeah. <laughs> if you can yeah. carry your clothes in a web sack with you, you can carry, like, a day planner. <laughs> yes. There's a lot in there. And it's a lot of stuff that we will continue to chew on for a while just in yeah. the series. It really sort of firmly establishes a lot of the stuff that um, 
the series sort of leans on that I think this series sort of created for itself. You know, like this isn't Yeah. I don't think Neogenics is based on anything. <laughs> no. It's and it's interesting. I I like that they created this idea of like if you were given your powers in this like random accident with an experimental technology, like there's probably going to be like side effects and unintended consequences beyond just giving you superpowers. And I like that the the kind of realism that this series has by kind of taking that to its uh it's like kind of um like reasonable conclusion from there where it's just like yeah i mean what if you just kept mutating from there like what if you know you're literally just like you have literal radioactive spider blood so what happens with that it's that's not usually good right i don't know why people would assume it would be fine (laughs) (laughs) one thing that i thought was strange during Mm -hmm. these interactions Um, I understand why they did it because it was an opportunity for jokes and comic relief, but Peter leaves out information that really isn't that important when you realize that you're allowing someone to like test your blood and DNA. Yeah. So like Dr. Connors says like, oh, you weren't born with these powers, were you? And instead of just saying like, no, I was bit by a radioactive spider, which he also says nobody else noticed. He like makes a joke about getting them on a game show and then... When Dr. Connors mentions, oh, yeah, it seems like Neogenics is involved, he makes another joke about the category on the game show. I'm just like, just tell him. Like, you're a scientist. Just tell him the information. Yeah. (laughs) And it's not like you don't have to tell him. You don't have to tell him that I was at one of your lab experiments where a small spider got in the middle of the ray and bit me. Like, you could just say, like, yes, Neogenics were involved in this. And, like, from what we've seen, plenty of people have been involved in some varying levels of Neogenic experiments. All of his students are doing Neogenics experiments Mm -hmm. to win this competition. So, like, anyone could have had access to it. So, like, it is – it is I like, I get why they did it in concept, but it seems like it was unnecessary because they didn't – Dr. Connors wouldn't have had enough information to – connect those dots well i also think that the situation is strengthened if you believe that dr connors does have the information to connect the dots and is choosing to do these things for the sake of science and because he recognizes that spider-man saved his life so dr connors already has literally everything he needs to figure out who you are he has your blood granted Mm -hmm. like you have to be in a database somewhere this is not csi but um (laughs) like dr connors could very easily test the blood that you have against everybody he's ever taught neogenics to if he wanted to he doesn't want to he's helping you because he wants to help you yeah and i think there's a lot of power in that (laughs) yeah 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 definitely stop being weird peter i know right the other the other like taking apart the scene way too much but there's one other like tiny observation that i made when right before peter has his flashbacks he rationalizes like not telling Dr. Connors. He's like, I couldn't, I don't want to risk, you know, revealing my secret identity by telling him that immunogenics may have been the reason that I became Spider-Man. Like, what do you mean may have? Like, I feel like it's pretty definite, pretty definite. The reason that you became Spider-Man. Like, (laughs) yeah. Like there's doubt there. (laughs) Like it (laughs) it may have been the radioactive spider that bit me and that gave me powers the next day. It could have also been like, been like the time i i ate that like old chopped chicken liver like maybe there was a spider in there like i got sick from that like what if that was a side effect like impossible to know (laughs) yeah (laughs) well (laughs) that's a whole scene (laughs) clearly we could talk about forever apparently 
But instead, let's move to the Parker residence. Um, because close to the Parker residence, but not exactly at the Parker residence, let's say the Parker's neighborhood, mm-hmm. we see Scorpion and Doc Ock both incredibly well-disguised via not-at-all-bulky trench coats <laughs> uh, run into each other on the same street <laughs> um, and sort of clash a little bit again. Like I said, we're going to see these two bump heads a lot. Um, Doc Ock basically says, like, what are you doing out here, dude? And Scorpion's like, I'm trying to find Peter Parker, dude, because if I can find Peter Parker, I can find Spider-Man. Um, and Doc Ock is like, that's actually really, really smart. I'm going to steal your idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So I don't know what Doc Ock was doing. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. There's like no explanation for He was just taking a walk in his trench coat, I guess. I guess so. But the two of them then walk off together. I also don't know why Scorpion just like accepts this, but uh, <laughs> I guess Scorpion's like sort of a weak-minded guy, um, which is pretty firmly established. So yeah. um, I guess that's, that's, that's how you explain that. But uh, we see them bump into each other in the neighborhood put a pin in that for about three seconds mm-hmm. so inside the parker residence aunt may receives a call from felicia looking for peter um you know she's actually like legit worried about him which is uh which uh is is kind of like both i guess both of them are worried i guess aunt may is really the one that's worried but but, yeah. Fel- but they both kind of express like a mutual worry i guess you know right because it is because it is late and he hasn't called anyone and of course right after hanging up felicia being a woman in new york in a cartoon in a superhero cartoon is (laughs) just gets mugged by a dude like decked out in full mugger gear um he just (laughs) bought from the mugger store (laughs) yeah stolen from the mugger store excuse me (laughs) (laughs) he just runs up steals a purse runs away uh but michael morbius who happens to be nearby just tackles him and saves her good thing michael morbius was nearby yeah it's not fishy (laughs) not at all (laughs) Uh and you know felicia of course swoons over her savior yes of course um so let's cut back to the parker residence and pick that pin back up uh dr octopus rings the doorbell at the house of the parkers um aunt may answers the door and dr octopus introduces himself um as dr otto octavius Now, Aunt May, who was already concerned about Peter's health because she is forever concerned about Peter's health, Mm. assumes that because there's a doctor at her doorstep, this must mean that Peter is gravely ill. And she's like, oh, my gosh, what happened? Is he okay? I can't believe it. I knew he was sick. Oh, if you're a doctor, that must mean everything's the worst. Um, And Doc Ock being smart. Um, is like, oh, well, that was easy. So, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Again, don't know what his actual plan was. (laughs) Right, right. Like, he just improvises all of this, but she's Mm -hmm. also, like, handing it to him. Just very, like, on a silver platter. Like, Aunt May, you have some issues, lady. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about therapy for a second. We talk about it a lot, and maybe the number one person who should be going is Aunt May. (laughs) I have never, I have never seen someone just so, I don't even know, man. She's just, she's just, (laughs) she has so... Is she ever, like, not in a state of, like, frenzy? Like, is she ever just, like, things are okay right now? Like, is, has that ever happened once in her? Like, what sparked this? Was Did did Uncle Ben's death do this? Was that the trauma moment? Or was she like this before? See, that would be interesting to dive into. Like, is she just so paranoid by having lost him and I guess having lost, like, Peter's parents, so her other family members basically lost all of her family members up to this mm. point, and now she's living in a world with, like, supervillains and stuff? Like, 
maybe that's just kind of broken her and now she's you just terrified what? of the world and losing everything i buy that very readily <laughs> they never really hint at that or explain that but as far as like a understandable reaction i i guess that qualifies especially yeah. if it's something that's never addressed um, if she never confronts it, she kind of goes into the mode of like hyper protectivity mm-hmm. instead of actually coping. <laughs> yeah, because uh, which is really sad. We've seen moments of her where she's not stupid. Like in the Spider Slayers episodes, she was pretty on point. I feel like in those, I remember. Mm-hmm. So like she's not she's not stupid, and like she has moments of like being like i don't know like lucid or whatever it's just (laughs) it's just most of the time she's on this level all the time and yeah it is really sad when you think about it from that angle oh boy well that's i think that's gonna be my headcanon until proven wrong i'm just gonna adopt yours sure sure because it does make a lot of sense and i think it helps to understand some of her like immediate frenzied reactions to things Mm Hmm. I guess I, maybe I gave her too much crap for uh, freaking out that the doctor was at the door. I, so. I mean, but it is still <laughs> Although absurd. he's not a police officer. Like, that's not the same situation as Ben. Yeah. And also, like, what doctor ever just shows up at your house to tell you that your yep. patient is, like... It's, you have a phone. <laughs> yeah. Like, she's clearly not thinking through any no. of this. No. No, she's not. <laughs> oh, Aunt May. oh okay well so yeah so he's able to just kind of um take advantage of all this to will not even really kid he technically kidnaps her but it's like she's will willingly going with him and none the wiser um so we see that peter returns home um everything's really dark and he's looking for aunt may and he's getting worried and then he finds a uh, very nicely written note sitting on the kitchen counter from ak that is a ransom note basically the ransom being that he peter has to get spider-man to come to the specific address or else Aunt May will be kaput, basically. Yes, indeed. And this is, I guess, I mean, this is almost the end. I mean, we go right from this scene of reading the note to a powerless, for the most part, Peter suiting up and making his way to that clinic. Um, but he does so on foot, which is a detail that Shocker notes immediately as strange. Yeah. Because we see Peter, or I guess Spider-Man, approaching the clinic on camera. The entire, you know, Insidious 6 and Kingpin, they're all watching him approach. Um, I like that Shocker's like, that's strange. But he thinks that Spider-Man's just up to something. So mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily put the right pieces together, but he still notices so Spider-Man does end up just kind of running into the building because he can't can't really approach any other way. Mm-hmm. And because he doesn't have a spider sense, uh, he just <laughs> immediately falls into a trapdoor. Whoops. <laughs> and that trapdoor leads him to a warehouse, of course. And he lands pretty much right in front of the Insidious Six. And we get a really horrifying moment where Chameleon plays a cruel joke on oh, Spider-Man. God. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. He thinks he sees Aunt May sitting on a gurney or laying unconscious on a gurney, so assumes yep. that she's been hurt, which we've seen like she's just sitting patiently yeah. um, in what she thinks is a clinic. I like the little – actually, just backtracking for a second. I like the little real quick little explanation they have where it's like this clinic was made for Kingpin's – like uh, Kingpin's um, – Kingpin's employees whenever they get hurt, but uh, now it works perfectly for our little – you know, our little charade here because Aunt May thinks it's just a regular clinic. So we've seen that she's okay there. 
But uh, for Peter, he thinks that she's unconscious on this uh, hospital gurney. When he approaches her, it's the chameleon, and chameleon like turns into like this uh, this like evil witch version of Aunt May. That's really like legit creepy, <laughs> like yes. legit creepy. Like it even like does a close up on her like gross mouth with like missing mm-hmm. teeth. Yeah, yeah, very rude, chameleon. Yeah, very rude. And then we get. A lovely to be continued, which will be the norm pretty much from here on out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So the faces of the episode for this one, uh, there's a lot of the, anim- the animation in this, this episode is not very, it's not good. The designs are not good. There's a lot of problems, which I think we can talk about a little bit, but there's a couple of things that aren't even really animation things. It's just like. Just the way that the designs are staged that I really I really liked. Mm-hmm. There's two instances of this. First, when Kingpin is having his crime lord meeting, we get, like, everybody's pretty relatively normal looking. Like, Hammerhead's weird looking, but, you know, it's Hammerhead. We know, <laughs> we know what to expect. Like, Silvermaid's a normal looking guy. There's another crime lord that's not even named that just looks like a dude in a suit. And then there's the owl who's just there <laughs> who has the most, the bizarrest, like, like, 30s supervillain design, it uh-huh. looks like. And just, like, the absurdity of, like, seeing... When you first see him, I think, it's, like, among everyone else who's just dressed in regular business attire. Yeah. And he just sticks out, like, a lot. Yeah, like, who is that guy? Who brought him? <laughs> <laughs> How'd he get in here? <laughs> no, like, his, he's just, like, his eyes are just white. There's no yeah. pupils to them. His Ugh. hair is, like, Wolverine hair with a giant green trench, trench coat. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Weird design. Don't know anything about him. Weird design. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Another instance of this that I also like is when we pan across Dr. Connors' uh, class. There's a few good faces in the background that are just drawn really weirdly. But the best part is, like, this is our first, like, uh, view of Michael Morbius. And, like, if you would, hadn't guessed that he would be a main <laughs> character in this, it's blatantly obvious like it's very clear who you are supposed to be looking at <laughs> the dude with the the bright blue like lab coat doctor shirt with a black trench coat big black hair with blue streaks like uh-huh. <laughs> it's like it's like that image where it's just like guess who the anime protagonist is and it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's yep. like exactly that <laughs> yeah oh it's very much that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's so much more detailed too like his face is so many lines right right there's a lot going on in that image actually oh yeah yep. <laughs> there's a lot of people sleeping in dr codger's class it looks like rude uh-huh and then the last one from this episode was just a bizarre des- like design mistake i guess it's in the in between um when aunt may chameleon as aunt may transforms back to himself briefly then transforms into which aunt may then back into himself like those brief glimpses that we get of him i don't know what i, I don't know what's happening to his eyes but they're not there they're just I copper circles (laughs) so i was wondering about that because i i think his eyes are basically similar to this throughout the episode but i don't remember them being like that in his first appearance no and but there they weren't and there are definitely moments in this episode where they're drawn normally they fluctuate back and forth it's and it's very strange huh yeah weird yeah it's kind of mesmerizing Right? It is a little <laughs> This is also an episode, I guess, we should also call out that Agent Ford eyes come back in the form of Hammerhead. 
he has just the line mm. closed lined eyes that yeah. occasionally open up sometimes that's so, right he does mm-hmm. welcome back agent ford eyes <laughs> welcome back weird eye things in spider-man the animated series in general <laughs> yes yes so quickly, since these two episodes do run together, but I think that it's worth talking about them separately. Thoughts on that first one? Thoughts on the opening of season two? I think the second episode strengthens this first one a lot. I wasn't, yeah. I didn't really like it very much first watching it until I watched part two. I feel like it's a really weak entry for it. Mm-hmm. I think, like I said, it's 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 strengthened by part two because it is setting up a lot of stuff that pays yes. off, I think, in a lot in, in pretty good ways in the second episode. I think it highlights a lot of the stuff that we didn't like about the first season in terms mm. of like how Peter deals with girls and how yes. they handle the romance stuff in general. It's it's just really awkward and obnoxious. Yeah. I think the animation is, like, god-awful in this one. I think it's the worst <laughs> it has ever been. I think it is a slight step up in the second one, but it is real. It starts off the season on a real bad note. Like, lots of lip yeah. syncs that are off. A lot of, like, a lot of, like, a lot, a lot of lip syncs are off throughout yeah. it. Um, a lot of, like, just randomly, like, slowed down frame rates and, and, and clearly, like, throwing in flashbacks just to pad out some time as well. It's, like, all of the worst offenders of this show kind of packed in right here in this episode. Which is very strange for the first episode of a season. You and which should be a pretty big one, too. Yeah. It's Because it's not just a season premiere. It's also, like, the Sinister Six episode, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if they were just, like, spread too thin, like, with having to bring back all of the villains or something, or maybe, I don't know, maybe like, maybe, maybe they were like running late from, from, from starting off. You'd think like when you're coming back from like your break, that yeah. should be the one time you turn an episode in on time. So I don't know. It's, I, I really, I'm baffled by why, why it's yep. so badly animated. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very surprised. I think in addition to that, um, this show sort of, I, I, I don't want to say suffers from, having too much in it because I don't think it suffers from having too much in it. I think they were establishing so much and beginning so many stories. It feels like they didn't pay enough attention to all the stuff in between. Yeah. That becomes really noticeable because it keeps happening. I'm, I'm not typically one to sort of like pick on too many things that folks would cry out plot hole for. Sure. Um, because I think most things that people call plot holes aren't really plot holes. Mm-mm. But in this episode, there are so many things that they're not filled in or they're not like, they're just loose or messy. Um, things like uh, why is, why is Doc Ock there running into Scorpion <laughs> if he didn't have a plan in the first place? Um, that alone would be fine, but there's like a lot of little things throughout the episode where you're like, wait a second, why, why is Michael Morbius where he is? Why is Doc Ock where he is? There's a lot of placement issues. There's a lot of, um, like strange, um, sort of like communication issues that don't need to be weird communication issues. Um, so it feels outside the universe itself. Mm -hmm. Just really, really bizarre. It is setting up a lot of really interesting stuff, though. So I think once you kind of get past those things um, and get into the meat like you're talking about with this next episode, it probably becomes very easy to forget all of those little things the deeper into the stories you get. Yeah, it definitely feels very different from the first season and not in a bad way because you can really tell – you can tell that there's a lot of setup happening. You can tell that there's going to be – there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to see the resolution of in this episode. Yeah. 
and not in like a two-parter to be continued way. It really feels like they're just sort of like setting characters into little places that might move like incrementally. Like you really get mm-hmm. that feeling immediately. And I think like the pacing is a little bit different as a result, which I, I kind of may or may not hurt it in some ways, but I think like ultimately works and, and pays off. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, let's dive into the next one. Cause I do think I agree with you that that's definitely the improvement. Yes. So this second episode we're talking about is the second episode in the second season. And that is called Neogenic Nightmare Chapter 2. Battle of the Insidious Six. And here's our synopsis per IMDb. Spider-Man begins to turn the Insidious Six against each other, but his powers are still giving him problems. The original air date for this episode is September 16th, 1995. It is written by Doug Booth, who, in a complete contrast to the last writer we were talking about, (laughs) this dude has just like one of those just never-ending, like, Mondo IMDb's. The mm-hmm. things that you typically will see for, like, voice actors, right. he's got it as a writer. Um, so, like, pr- legit, like, pretty much every prominent cartoon from, like, 1976 until 2006. Damn. I'm assuming he's retired because nothing lists saying that he's died. So, I guess he just retired after, after 2006. Sure. So he has written for things such as uh, the 1981 Spider-Man and Spider-Man and his amazing friends, the Smurf, He-Man, Transformers, G.I. Joe, New Scooby-Doo Mysteries, uh, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Heathcliff the movie. Um, he was a showrunner on Conan the Adventurer. Um, he was also writing for Street Sharks, X-Men, Iron Man, Magic School Bus, Winx Club. Um, the most recent credit that he had was actually a German show in mm. 2006 called The School for Vampires, um, which was the translation for it, I guess, um, into English. Um, he himself, I think, is British, I believe. Wow. So, yeah, uh, sounds like a really interesting guy. Yeah, for sure. Oh, wow. I mean, it kind of, I, I wonder how much of the um, quality of episode can be attributed to just sheer lack of experience on the first, or like in the first uh, instance and the sheer breadth of experience in this second episode. That's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah. So, well, we don't really have new characters worth mentioning for the second one because it continues exactly where the last one picked up until it is at least somewhat resolved. So we can kind of just dive in Mm -hmm. to what happens next. Yes. So um, we get a brief, not even really brief, it's a pretty long recap (laughs) before we get get the opening. And I guess that'll become standard, right? Oh god! I mean, pretty oh, much god, every yeah. episode from here on out will recap the the previous episode, I think. And I mean, we talked about how like these episodes are already run like super short anyway. Like yep. having a long recap, which if you have a serialized story is justified. That's only going to help you cut down on time. You have to animate things. So yep, yep. there we go. So, and I guess I should also say just to bring back our opening sequence, watch uh, twenty nineteen, soon to be twenty twenty. Ooh. I, I just just to throw it out there, I I think season t- so I want I'm actually going to do further research on this because I'm unclear. I've read conflicting reports on when the intro changed between like the first intro and the second intro, like in the airing of the show. Yeah, um, and it's made it even more confusing by how like 
these streaming services, like including Disney Plus. I watched, I, I checked out a couple episodes from season one, <laughs> and they switched up the intros for those two. So I don't understand why it's like that. But the one that they're using is like the latter intro. My question that I don't know the answer to, and I want to find out, is did this intro start airing during season two or dar- during season three? Because all of the clips in this are from season two. So you could reasonably say that they that they threw this into the beginning of season two, but I recognize some of them are clips from like later, like late <laughs> the, or midway through season two. So it's like, yeah. how far along were they before they created this? Like if they had a lot of episodes in the can early, then it's reasonable to think they could have cut episodes or cut clips from like episode eight or whatever into it. And that would be fine. Mm-hmm. But that's usually not how it works in TV. Like <laughs> usually. So I don't know. It might've, might've been from season three. I will find out and confirm later, but I'm going to assume from this point forward, it's always going to be that opening unless they use like the shortened version for like season five or something later mm, on. Okay. Yeah. That'll make it easy if you ever decide to quiz me. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll always know the answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So into the episode itself, um, we do open, like I mentioned at the end of the last one, Aunt May is kind of in this fake clinic waiting room. Um, still think that Doc Ock is just a nice man because <laughs> she's just totally oblivious. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, these still like kind of mostly powerless spider-man is is trying to to like face off against the insidious six essentially just by like running from them yes i think he says he has some of his agility yeah which i think they literally only threw there is in there as an excuse to recycle some animation from the doc Ock <laughs> episode because that is pulled directly mm. from there <laughs> interesting because right after that then he like doesn't jump anymore so yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> well during that battle um as he's dodging these blows um successfully sometimes very unsuccessfully other times a box of Mysterio's hollow cubes is knocked over. Sure. <laughs> Scattering a bunch of hollow cubes across the warehouse floor, to which I believe Doc Ock responds, I told you to store those somewhere else. <laughs> why? Yeah, like why in the middle of the warehouse you knew you were going to be having a battle in? I don't, I mean, I guess he's got to store them somewhere where he can access them if he runs out of them, I guess. Here's what I really appreciate about that. It means that at some point there was just a very unvillainy type moment where they were just like bringing their belongings into the warehouse and there was an argument about whether or not Mysterio should put those there. Yeah. Oh God. Mysterio <laughs> because told. this isn't like, this isn't like, why did you put those in the middle of the room? It's like, I told you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, amazing. Don't, don't put them in the middle of the warehouse. I can put them wherever I want. You're not my yeah. mom. Yeah. Don't tell me what to do. You're not the boss. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, boss you. Yeah. Oh, I love I love imagining that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love to see it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, one of these hollow cubes does activate and it creates a holographic wilderness um, inside the warehouse, which does allow Spider-Man to sort of more effectively hide from the enemies. This, however, frustrates Doc Ock, and he sort of notes it as strange um, because he doesn't understand why Spider-Man is hiding from them after having defeated all of them before. The hologram doesn't last all that long. Yeah. And when it when it expires, Doc Ock is pretty 
easily able to find and subdue Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, meanwhile, Kingpin is watching remotely, um, and he like kind of patches this footage into Silvermane, who is uh, you know of course being very impatient, wants to catch Spider-Man. Before like Kingpin even shows him the footage, Silvermane's just like, "I'm gonna gonna kick you out. You're not doing your job. You can't catch the Spider-Man." And Kingpin's like, "Want to bet?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> and just immediately is just like, "Ha ha!" Uh, he just he just shows the uh, footage of Spider-Man being caught, mm-hmm. which Silverman's just like. Well, okay. Uh, Oops, egg on my face. (laughs) Right. Oopsie doodle. (laughs) (laughs) But... This uh, this this feeling of uh, of loss does not last very long, because Doc Ock unmasks Spider Man. This is this is when I I really love the writing of this and how this has all been set up because I think they wrote themselves into like. A good corner? That's not a good saying, but like they, 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 there was like almost like only one direction that this could go in. Like, there's no way that Spider-Man could reasonably escape without some kind of contrivance. Yeah. But they were able to like set up enough to justify like how he could still get out of it after the fact. Yeah. And it sets up just such a cool premise for this whole episode where like Peter Parker has to be working with the Insidious Six. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's really really well done. Yeah, yeah, they almost they almost like eliminated the stakes for the rest of the the season. <laughs> like they almost just got rid of any sort of potential conflict. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like, oh, we know who you are now, so now we're just going to take advantage of that. Right. But instead, because he's been such a piss poor fighter <laughs> in this uh, warehouse battle, when they do see that it's Peter Parker, Doc Ock is like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Of course you're not actually Spider-Man. You sucked at fighting us. Like, what are you doing here, buddy? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. why are you here, Peter? Mm-hmm. Again, I think this is somebody providing the explanation that the other person just sort of gloms onto because Doc Ock sort of <laughs> latched on to Aunt May's explanation, right? And then took advantage of that. Well, Doc Ock sort of does this thing where he's like, of course it's you. Like, you couldn't find the real Spider-Man or he wouldn't come. So you came along to, you know you know, cause you were scared or whatever. And so Peter's like, yeah, yeah, that, that definitely that. <laughs> the performance is really good on Peter because he, you know, he's clearly out of his element. There's like, these two great little vine readings um, where it's just like, uh, it's just like, he's clearly not Spider-Man. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, uh, yeah, yeah, can't fool you guys. Like it's really, uh, it's really good. And he even seems to like, um, amp up the pitch of his voice a little bit for the rest of the episode almost mm-hmm. to like keep the charade up even even more yeah just to even pretend even more that he's the weak nephew um, <laughs> that everyone thinks he is uh yeah. it's it's really cleverly done and, and and it made me think too like the last time we had a sinister six episode was in spectacular spider-man and one of the things that i think was really smart that you brought up is that if spider-man is facing the sinister six like he's probably not going to be able to defeat them on his own, mm-hmm. like just from the nature of what it is. And then so we see in like both of these shows, they kind of find this really creative way around it. Like yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man, he only did it because he was amplified by the symbiote black suit. Um, and in this one, he doesn't really like defeat them like by no. like brute strength. Like it's kind of all accidental. And then he ends up just kind of getting away at the end of the episode and they're all still free, you know? So it's right. a really, it's a really clever way to write around that. Yeah, I mean, they they create these unique scenarios that allow for 
better storytelling. In this case, it's the fact that his powers are on the Fritz, which is purely accidental, but they can use it in a really, really clever way. Right. So they've got Peter tied up to this chair, um, and he's now sort of playing along like, oh, yeah, 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 no, I, uh, I'm i not, not Spider-Man, that's for sure. But despite this cooperation, Shocker decides to blast Peter anyway. <laughs> Just temper, I guess? I don't know. Yes. Is like annoyed Shocker's- by... Yeah, he's so weird. (laughs) Shocker, Shocker's just like a character that they use, however is necessary in the moment. I think because they've never developed him to have a personality, so they can kind of do whatever they want. Right. Well, obviously this is a terrible idea. So Doc Ock intervenes, and what happens is Shocker ends up hitting the chair that Peter's sitting in instead of Peter himself. So this knocks Peter, still tied up to the chair, um, into a bunch of crates right around where those hollow cubes were knocked over. Ah. And Peter ends up pocketing a handful of those hollow cubes while Shocker and Doc Ock argue about that interaction. Yeah. So now that like they've kind of uh, they're kind of at a, at a standstill here. So Doc Ock and Peter decide to make a deal uh, to protect Aunt May. Peter promises to lead the Insidious Six to the real Spider-Man. And of course, all this is going on. Silvermane, who you know thought he just had his ass handed to him, like Kingpin <laughs> witnesses all of this. Like Kingpin uh-huh. probably should have like stopped the feed at a certain uh-huh. point. Like, oh, whoops! So where did that video security footage go? I'll figure out what's going on and get back to you later. But yep. no, <laughs> instead, Silvermane sees all of this, and it's just like, dude, you kidnapped an old lady and you strong armed like her weak nephew. Like, what are you? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're crime lords, not savages, Kingpin. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, He, like, immediately hangs up on him and then calls up Hammerhead to, like, basically start the coup that that they were kind of uh, implying earlier against Kingpin. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, with Peter's cooperation, cooperation is sort of a difficult word to use because he's being coerced. I guess... Through coercion, <laughs> uh, Doc Ock, Chameleon, and Mysterio <laughs> can continue the clinic charade in order to assure that Aunt May leaves uh, with some semblance of comfort at Peter's condition. The reason we're laughing is because to set the scene, um, we have Peter in a hospital bed, we have Doc Ock pretending to be a doctor, and Chameleon is disguised as a nurse. Mysterio, very vital to this charade, is disguised as a plant. <laughs> a literal sitting plant. A potted a potted plant. Like a little tree, I guess. Like a little potted tree in the corner. Was the hospital room not convincing enough without <laughs> some shrubbery or what? <laughs> and it's like... Did they feel like they needed extra extra like strength to guard... The little old lady and her, and her <laughs> nephew lying in bed. Like, well, if she tried to escape, like, we're going to yeah. need Mysterio there, man. Yeah. My, what's really great is, like, when when she finally leaves, he's like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness. I thought she'd never leave. Like, he was tired of being a plant. Like, it's like, did you choose to be a plant or did someone make you be a plant? Like, what? <laughs> and in that case, how long were you waiting there as the plant? Yeah. <laughs> and it's even better because this is all uh, happening after uh, what they try to make a very sweet emotional scene and it is a sweet little thing yes. Aunt May is convinced Peter's sick and she doesn't even and there's a cute little moment where she's just like no I can't leave before doing this and gives him a little kiss on the forehead and it's like oh she loves him but it's like it's all undercut because Mysterio is a houseplant <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah. 
I... I'm not mad about it. That's probably my favorite part of this whole episode, oh. to be honest. No, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's it's so funny. Yeah, no, I don't mind it at all. <laughs> that that I can accept for sure. Now I want like a deleted scene from Far From Home. It's <sighs> just like an homage to that where uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is a plant. <laughs> They're the like in Aunt, like Aunt May's apartment or something. <laughs> and he's just like been spying on Peter for no reason. And it's just like, yeah. who I thought they'd never leave. And then he just leaves without <laughs> having collected any vital information whatsoever. Oh, that'd be great. <laughs> I would love it. <laughs> oh, God. Where were we? <laughs> I don't know. Everyone's a plant. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's a plant. Yes. I think where we were after Aunt May leaves, um, Hammerhead, uh, we see, arrives at Silvermane's HQ with a warning saying that Kingpins beat us to the punch. Using the skills of the Insidious Six minus Aka Mysterio, we find that Kingpin quickly infiltrates uh, Silvermane's HQ. Basically, like, Hammerhead was actually chameleon this whole time so um hammerhead slash chameleon goes in there um while silvermane has his guard down they're like we're gonna escape through the elevator and then while they're in the elevator chameleon undoes his disguise revealing himself to be chameleon i think he even turns into kingpin just to like fuck with oh, him oh he little does bit. Um, chameleon really likes turning into kingpin for no reason I, it's probably really fun to be kingpin like oh i'm to have sure that to have that voice and have that body like i would oh, be yeah. kingpin all the time actually yes yes no i get it it makes me believe things about chameleon um <laughs> but <laughs> what's really funny about chameleon over these couple episodes and probably over the next you know however many appearances he has chameleon would be such an infuriating person to work with but he's also like the most valuable person to work with so you just have to like put up with his dumb shit because like in the last episode chameleon turns into the kingpin in front of the kingpin for no reason other than to just kind of be like a weirdo (laughs) also he has to turn into somebody to talk but it like i just imagine he does that all the time like chameleon just like looks like you in front of you so that he can say things in your own voice and like what are you going to do about it like you need him everything they've done they've they've needed him (laughs) yeah he's been instrumental to every single player that they've had yeah he can do literally whatever he wants (laughs) you just have to put up with it that's so funny that is so funny well, the, and to ramp up the absurdity of this plan, so Chameleon slash Kingpin slash Hammerhead has Silvermane in this elevator, and then we cut to, we cut to Rhino in a harness being carried to, by a helicopter through the city. Mm-hmm. It is adorable. Like, <laughs> he's just hanging in a harness, taking this helicopter ride. Basically, literally being used like a wrecking ball. Like they yeah. just like, have him tossed into the window. It's just like such a such like a bizarre like cute like he's like a bouncy image. baby. He's just like a bouncy baby. The, <laughs> the first of two times that he's like a baby in this uh, episode, yep. which I will get to later. But yes, that is so true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- that's how they get him into the building is by just like have basically making him a wrecking ball into the building, and he rolls. Rolls in there and then rips the elevator car just directly out of the building, takes it through the roof, and then hooks that elevator car to a cable that is attached to Kingpin's helicopter that's waiting above, which is, like, the most extra way to go through a plan of kidnapping an old man that I've ever seen, but Terrifying. Sure. Sure. Also, just terrifying. <laughs> like, because then, then what ends up happening is all of them jump onto that elevator car. So you have... 
I mean, you have Silvermane, who's just like an old guy, but you have Silvermane. I think who else was who else was there? Chameleon uh, is Scorpion there. and uh, Shocker, and the Rhino are all hanging from this elevator car from the helicopter. Yeah, how much can that helicopter hold? Because Rhino himself is probably like seven hundred pounds. <laughs> the elevator car is an elevator car. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, this is a strong, strong helicopter. I mean, I'm assuming this is one of Alistair Smythe's creations because he's always the one flying it. So, true. I guess it's, I guess it's just a beast of a helicopter. Yes, I, um, I guess. It also so. fits the entire elevator car in it. So huge. It's just like a tank that is a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So the way that they so so they have silvermane now but um they're kind of like a little button to this whole plan is that they have chameleon impersonate silvermane crawling out of the elevator car so his guards below think that silvermane was actually able to escape um then silvermane's like oh well, mean old crime lord man saying mean things to you and storming off and then that's how he's able to just get out of their eyesight turn back into chameleon and leave i guess yeah. Well, he also, I mean, this also serves to sort of call off further offensives because yes. while he's still in Silvermane, he says, like, forget it, cancel it. Like, we're right. done. Right. Um, which is pretty ingenious, actually. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good it's a good plan. It's a it's a well written plan. And well, yes. Plan. Yes, indeed. So we cut to where Doc Ock and Mysterio have been, or at least Doc Ock. I'm not really sure what Mysterio has been up to. <laughs> But Doc Ock is trench-coated once again, and he is with Peter, who is also now trench-coated. So, only... so many trench-coats in this, so in many this tre- what's, what's so funny about it is that there is a moment, I think it's later in this episode, or later in the last one, I don't know, it doesn't really matter when it is, but Chameleon, who can change his appearance, at one point changes into an entirely different person, still wears a trench coat. Of course. The only people in this universe who wear trench coats are bad people, so it's the worst <laughs> disguise ever. <laughs> Like, oh, that guy's wearing a trench coat. He must be a supervillain. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> My God, yep. And it's also, like, the fact that there's still... Okay, Peter does wear gloves. But yes. the the webbed shoes are still there, and no one notices them ever. <laughs> and, oh, these were just rem- I just remembered, in the clinic scene earlier with Aunt May, Doc yeah. Ock has a lab coat on as a doctor, has a shirt and tie on, but still has his bright yellow boots and gloves like from his outfit. So he must be wearing his armor with a shirt over top of it, with a coat over top yeah. of that. I mean, you know what it is, is it's like, for whatever reason, the people making the show don't trust us to fully understand the circumstances, I guess. I guess. So all of the disguises are all super basic so that they can always show us, the audience, a hint of what's underneath. As so. if we can't just buy into the fact that like, Peter's wearing silly clothes that aren't his clothes because he has to cover up his suit that we don't need to be shown. (laughs) (laughs) Sillier than his Miami Vice rolled up sleeves blazer. Sure. Okay. Right. Well, or like, or I guess we're going to forget that Doc Ock is Doc Ock if he's not wearing his golden boots. I don't, I I don't know. (laughs) Which is just, it's such a weird disparity because the writing of this show seems to, at this point, want to trust the audience. Yeah. Like they're really relying on a lot of continuity and established stuff. Right. So it's weird that like on the animation and director side, they're treating it in a very like old school, like basic way. Yeah. I mean, unless it's meant to be funny, but I, I don't think, I don't think that's it. I don't right? think so either. Cause I, I think, think so you either. could make actual jokes out of it 
without ruining what's going on in the universe. Yeah. Uh, but they don't do that. They have one joke where Peter is asked, like, they that when he goes into the fancy hotel place, they yeah. ask him for his coat. And he's like, no, thanks. I've already got one. Ha ha ha. That's true. Like, that's that's true. the extent of it. <laughs> and that, I mean, that is where they're going. I mean, we haven't even mentioned where they're going in their fancy trench coats. But <laughs> Peter and Doc Ock are walking through sort of like a hotel lobby um, that I'm assuming is just a hotel that's part of a larger skyscraper um, because they walk up to an elevator um, they hop in the elevator. Turns out that the elevator personnel was Chameleon, of course. Mm-hmm. And they start asking him questions about why are we at this building? Why are we here? What are the details? Like, we don't understand fully where you're bringing us. So, like, give us the deets here. So Peter basically says, like, I meet up with Spider-Man each night or every other night or however frequently, but I meet up with him at midnight on top of this building. And the reason it's this building is because it's tall enough for Spider-Man to see whether or not I'm alone. He doesn't really trust me very much is what he says, which is actually really smart of him to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And he he keeps that sort of contentious relationship between, I guess, himself and himself up in order to pull off this plan yeah yeah and also just like amp suspicion in general like i feel like he does that with um he's he's we've seen him do that before to an extent with like jameson before where it's like yes spider-man says verbally that he hates peter parker or whatever so it's a it's a clever way to handle it and i also like that like doc ock is not stupid like he is asking peter all the real questions that he should Mm -hmm. be asking in the situation right um and 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 it's keeping peter on his toes and kind of keeping the stakes even higher than they already are because he has to like he 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 can't just like write this stuff off like he has to keep coming up with more and more layers to this plan that he has yeah he's being interrogated by a genius Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh good thing he is also a genius Uh uh-huh uh-huh so the remaining members of the six all arrive atop of the building to join uh, peter and ock and chameleon and peter like kind of persists with this whole like spider-man doesn't trust me like if, if a bunch of super villains are standing on the rooftop he's not gonna he's gonna he's gonna turn right around and leave <laughs> their counter to this oh my gosh <laughs> this is the greatest mysterio the worst? i'm not mysterio. sure if this is the best or the worst plan mysterio is so awesome in this in these episodes <laughs> he is just the best like the best his counter to this is to disguise all six of them as like exhaust vents which like on paper i guess makes sense but it's just six of them in a semicircle around yeah. peter like yeah. right next to each other yeah, and they're huge weird. <laughs> on top of the building that peter has just told you that spider-man and him meet on all the time <laughs> Also funny because earlier um, in the last episode, Mysterio clearly demonstrated his ability to just make everyone invisible. Yeah, why did you have to be... <laughs> oh my God, I didn't think about that. Oh so God. instead of just making them invisible, he's like, I'm going to make us huge exhaust fans, guys. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I love him so much. He's my favorite. I think he's, he's my great. favorite villain in this in this version of him. <laughs> is my great. favorite villain in this show. He's so good. Uh... So funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, it doesn't matter anyway, because Peter has a counter to that, because one of those hollow cubes that he stashed away, um, he just throws it out. I don't really know how they activate or how he knows how to activate them, but he throws it out and it generates the image of a fighter jet. And he couples this with his reaction of, hey, well, what's that? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Doc Ock, of course, like he, he's onto it immediately. He's just like, he stole it. Like, you know that he stole it. We know that that's what happened. 
Yeah. Which which I appreciate. <laughs> He's not fooled for a second. But it's still like enough chaos to yeah. like to 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 get Peter like enough time to start running. He throws another one at Rhino, <laughs> which um, it's makes Rhino think that he's just falling into a cannon, and it is just the most adorable, most adorable moment I've ever seen ever on screen. Um, aye, aye, aye. I'll talk Rhino. about it a little later. I definitely screen capped it. Yep. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Rhino thinks he's falling into a canyon, even though he's he's he was on a skyscraper in New York City, <laughs> sure, whatever. Rhino. <sighs> I guess there's like at least some truth to if you were running and suddenly like the floor appeared to not be underneath you, like you probably would stumble. Yeah, but, uh, you would have that primal reaction to it, like the whoa. But like yeah. he turns into a full on fetus when this happens. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, his reaction is is super extra. <laughs> 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 have you ever um have you ever seen any of those like chalk arts uh that are sort of like uh optical illusions uh-huh that they're yes. like meant to be 3d they are pretty trippy they are yeah you do feel like you'll feel a little bit like dizzy or something like yeah. that like when it's happening yeah, yeah. or I, actually I like it. you and i went up to we went up to the top of uh sears slash willis tower right yeah i was just thinking about that yeah. it is like, it is even with like you know that there's thick glass yeah. over you and everyone goes on it all the time and it still like gives you that yep. sense of like, <gasps> yep. <laughs> like yep. the lightheadedness of it, yeah. So I imagine it would actually be pretty effective. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. I take it back. I still would not turn into a still, crying baby like he yeah. does. But <laughs> still an extra reaction. That's that's for sure. <laughs> so this does give Spider Man the opportunity to reach the or Peter, I guess, because uh, he's still Peter. Uh, the edge of the skyscraper's roof, and he shouts to, quote, call off, in quotes, his meeting with Spider-Man, because, of course, he is Spider-Man. So he's just trying to let them think that he's telling Spider-Man to go away. And then Shocker blasts him off the side of the building. He, uh, Which just... is convenient for Peter, but definitely not a good idea. To be fair, they've set it up that he likes to just blast people randomly. Like, he already tried to do this to Peter once. True. Even though it makes literally no sense. <laughs> he just, I don't know. He's just not a s- smart guy, I guess. I, you know, doesn't... we're spoiled by Montana in... Yeah. That's a spoiler if you haven't watched Spectacular. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're, we are spoiled by Montana because Montana is such a calm, cool-headed, sort of, like, calculated guy. That this shocker is just like, I'm going to blow stuff up. <laughs> and you're like, why? But it's not even <laughs> to like enough of an extent to make it feel like that's his personality. Oh, yeah. No. It's just like, it just, he, he seems pretty subdued until it just comes out of nowhere that he shocks <laughs> something yeah. for no reason. I've been waiting and I got to shoot something. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been building up inside me. Yeah. So, yeah, Peter falls off the side of a building, which, like I said, is actually pretty convenient for him because what he's able to do is, well, one, he has a moment uh, during the fall to think about, wait a second, that didn't kill me, which means my spider strength must be back. Um, So he puts his mask back on. He sort of suits up his Spider-Man and swings by um, to a nearby water tower. And he's able to sort of latch on to it enough to not fall but his powers aren't back 100 percent, so he's still sort of like slipping and sliding a little bit mm-hmm. um, to the point where he he can stay but he's kind of still got to hang on using like actual muscles <laughs> yeah this is something i think this episode does really well because i feel like his fighting style and the way that he does everything for the rest of the episode 
like is always has that in mind that he's not at one hundred percent. Like he's not yeah. he's not being as super agile, and it makes him have to be as it makes him have to like kind of amp up the cleverness for everything that he does. And I think yes, I think they handle it really well in this one. I agree. So he does kind of sh- come back. He's he feels like he's back enough to clash with the Insidious Six. And meanwhile, Kingpin and Silvermane are positioned to watch from above, and Silvermane does decide to like try to stand up to Kingpin. So Kingpin, in um, uh, as a result, just uh, hooks this old man's belt to the cable and throws him out of the heli- heli- helicopter. Which, okay. my gosh, <laughs> Silvermane th- must have a spine of titanium. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, like they draw him to be like the oldest old man to ever old on the on the planet of old. <laughs> But, and they get a very old guy to voice him. Uh-huh. But, I mean, he 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 must still be in decent enough shape to survive this, I guess. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so he's just hanging from the helicopter now. Yep. Spider-Man, of course, sees a decrepit old man hanging from a helicopter and makes the pretty reasonable assumption that he's just, like, an innocent victim that Kingpin has kidnapped for whatever reason. So yes. he uh, he takes a break from fighting the Insidious Six to uh, try to rescue him from the cable, um, and he uh, swings him to a nearby building. Mm-hmm. To, to which Kingpin's like, so Spider-Man and Silverman, Silverman are allies. Like... <laughs> There's sure. so much misunderstanding in this episode and in, like, the last five minutes of the first episode. It's just, mm-hmm. like, one series, like, just one misunderstanding after the next. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, very comical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do like this one, though, because it really does take advantage of the fact that Spider-Man doesn't have all the information and acts according only to the information that he has. And yeah. they stick with it. There is no suspicion at any point that Silvermane is anybody other than a victim of the Kingpin. Yeah, and you know, I like that they they're still they're still keeping very close the fact that Spider-Man has no idea who Kingpin is either. Like they yeah. make that very clear. I like that they're like kind of holding that cuz I mean it makes everything a lot more complicated as we see because Spider-Man is going to defend and rescue people that he sees that are in danger regardless of who they are. Yeah. And it's like I love the idea that like he can be rescuing someone who is going to come back and bite him in the butt later on. Oh yeah. So at Kingpin's command, um, the Insidious Six split up to try to find Spidey and Silvermane. Um, I believe that Doc Ock and Scorpion are instructed to enter the building from the outside through a fire escape, um, while the other four, which is Chameleon, Rhino, Shocker, and Mysterio, are told to sort of more directly follow um, and pursue Spider-Man. Not 100% sure about Chameleon, but I think that's what he was doing. Makes Not sense. sure if it's even that important, but yeah. <laughs> they split up. Yeah. When Spider-Man sort of is like creeping through this building, trying to figure out one, where he is, and two, how to get out and get away, he pretty quickly bumps into Rhino, mostly because I think he's talking to Silvermane at that point and isn't like fully paying attention, doesn't have his spider sense back just yet, and is pretty quick thinking in the face of Rhino. He pretends to be Chameleon to say like, Rhino, like, don't hurt me. Like, let me go. I'm, it's me, the Chameleon. Like, what are you doing? And then convinces Rhino that while he's the Chameleon, the two shadowy figures over there in the corner are actually Spider-Man and Silvermane. So put me down and go get them. Um, when in fact, them is Shocker and Mysterio. <laughs> very clever. It's very clever. Yes. I like it. I very like quick it thinking. Yeah, and, you know, this works, of course. And then we get this weird moment where 
Shocker makes a big deal of Rhino tearing his Electro suit. Why is he allowed to wear an Electro suit in prison? Somebody <sighs> please answer this question for me. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, maybe it's, well, okay, no, I, I have, I do have one rationalization for it because it looks like the tear is in his vest and I, we only see the yellow part of his suit, like the base part of it in prison. And mm. I feel like when we see his equipment, what, that when he's putting it on, it's not just his shocker gloves, but I feel like the vest is also hanging up. So maybe okay. the vest part is his true electro suit. But okay, it, it doesn't make, make sense later, though. <laughs> it doesn't make sense later, and if he's allowed to wear an electro suit that has power in prison, he should be in a better cell. If he's allowed to, if it doesn't have power, why is he allowed to wear it? Like, there's so many things about Shocker that don't make any sense. What if, like, what, does he what, need it to stay alive? <sighs> in which case, is he now in danger? Because spoiler alert: at the end, most of it ends up destroyed. <laughs> like, or maybe it's like a psychological <laughs> thing. And like, oh, it's a comfort blanket. Yeah, it's a comfort blanket. And his, uh, <laughs> his psychologist like, rec- re- recognized that and is just like, no, he won't survive in prison without having his little, his little fishnet, <laughs> fishnet outfit. <laughs> this is actually – that's actually was not part of his shocker gear that he got. That's actually a thing he's been wearing since he was a child. Yeah, yeah. His suit is just the vest and the and the, the gauntlets. gauntlets. Yeah, <laughs> I like this idea. Actually, <laughs> that actually that solves every problem. Wow. Essentially, well, now I'm just imagining like a you know preteen, older, like graduating high school teen, like outcast college kid, like all wearing this yellow suit through various stages of his life, um, <laughs> pretty much failing to ingratiate himself with anybody because everyone's like, what is this guy? <laughs> yellow fishnets? Yeah. Sure. And that's what draw. That's what drives him to crime, you know? Like, yeah. everybody treats him like trash because uh, he's <laughs> he's got to wear his, his uh, fishnet suit. He's a never nude. Oh, my God. Oh, poor shocker. <laughs> wow. We've given yeah. him more personality than this show ever did. <laughs> hey, we got to fill in the backstory somehow, you know? I do like the idea of, like, a live-action shocker being played by David Cross. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Crying yes. in the shower. In Even though we never actually shower. see his face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still know it's you, David Cross. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. So, We've done a lot here today. Um, <sighs> we've yeah. done a lot of good work. <laughs> I feel accomplished. I feel very accomplished. So capitalizing on on the trick that he just played, Spider-Man continues to lead Silvermane through the building. And then a spider sense returns and he's very Ooh. happy about it. Of course, can't be too happy about it because it means that there's danger around. Yeah. And what it's alerting him to is an incoming ta- attack from Doc Ock. Um, he's able to like kind of dodge, dodge Doc Ock's tentacles and make his way out of the building with Silvermane through a window. But, you know, Shocker's still on them. So he, again, this like poor old man, weak old man, decrepit uh. old man, gets just webbed to the ceiling. <laughs> uh. Kind of violently. This guy. Uh-huh. Like how many broken bones, and it's not the end of not the end of what will be torture no. for him. No. Um, <laughs> and uh, but uh, he Spider Man is able to like kind of fight off Shocker and then toss him into a nearby water tower, which is when it gets okay with our <laughs> rationalization. <laughs> okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the tear in his electro suit is in the vest that allows water to come in. 
as Shocker narrates this, saying that water is coming in and because of the rip, that's going to cause the suit to explode, I guess. But I'm guessing maybe in order for his suit to be connected to the gauntlets, maybe there's like a, the vest and then there's some like connective stuff that has to go under his like never nude fishnets to get mm. to the gauntlets. So in order for him to quickly get the vest and gauntlets off before they explode, he has to like rip off his fishnet parts too, which is why he jumps off like in his, in his underwear. But since he is a never nude, he, he has to have some kind of like comfort, Mm. like security blanket. So that's why he doesn't, he's able to get by without ripping his mask off. So he rips out off everything, but his mask and his undies. Okay. And jumps off. I see it. We solved it. We did. We did. Episode over. Goodbye. I would like to ask, um, you know, for these writers to go back in time and fix the fact that all of these people are wearing like the loosest, bulkiest <gasps> boxer shorts or <gasps> skin tight superhero outfits. It is the worst. That's it. It's not what they're wearing under there. Nope. They're wearing one of two things a jock or nothing. Uh huh. <laughs> Yep. Look, you know, I could. We all I know could, it. I could be okay with just like tidy whities It's not what they're wearing, but it's more reasonable for a kids' show. And you yes. can show it on a kids' show. You yes. can show tidy whities on a kids' show. Exactly. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> they show them on the outside of costumes all the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. <sighs> uh, it's comedy, they said. Sure. Just sure. laugh, they said. Sure. Sure. <sighs> anyway. Spider-Man makes his way to the next building over and lowers Silvermane <laughs> down a chimney. We're so disappointed. How is he alive? How, like, literally. I have no alive? idea. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. This poor guy. Oh, God. I this episode, almost feel bad. <laughs> this episode has killed me, man. Um, <laughs> Silvermane. Uh, <laughs> he survives. He's stronger than I am, I guess. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, he lowers him into a chimney where there are children who think he's Santa. <laughs> but uh, Doc Ock continues his pursuit of Spider-Man. Um, Scorpion arrives to join the scuffle, but you know we've already seen very we've already seen set up very well. I might add um, that they are very have a very caustic relationship. Mm-hmm. So as Scorpion, who is not a very smart guy and not a very tactical guy, just kind of acid shoots like all over the place, <laughs> shoots his acid, shoots his shoots his goop, um, yep. <laughs> shoots his load yep. into sure Kingpin's <laughs> into Kingpin's helicopter, which uh, you know is gonna is gonna cause some serious damage. Um, so Spidey strategically, um, well, that causes Kingpin to kind of be out of the game, and they have to like do a. To like uh, doing their own special landing to get out of the way because their helicopter is going to crash. Um, and Spidey kind of uh, strategizes with this acid to uh, get a second shot shot at Ox tentacles. So that melts one of his tentacles, oh, which is messed up. My gosh. Yeah. I, I couldn't handle it. How dare you? I <laughs> no. am officially anti-Scorpion. <laughs> if you're going to shoot your load, don't shoot it there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, 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 true. I mean, <laughs> If it's okay. going to do that much damage, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sad for the mechanical tentacles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I guess they're not sentient, so it's not as sad. That's true. That's true. In return, Doc Ock calls Scorpion out a malodorous bungler. 
which is oh yes, <laughs> fantastic. Which is like Scorpion's breaking point. Um, yeah. We actually, this is one of those continuity things that you mentioned that is done really well. Scorpion's fuse shortens each time Doc Ock insults him. Mm-hmm. And the first couple times he sort of puts up with it and then he snaps. Mm-hmm. And that is something we kind of saw in the Scorpion focus episode where, you know, he just took a lot of abuse as Mac Gargan and that never really left him. So yep. being insulted, being talked down to, being treated like garbage is a big, big button for him. And so he just has had it, had, had enough and he intentionally goes after Doc Ock at this point. Mm-hmm. Which Spider-Man encourages. Oh, yeah. It's funny that Scorpion doesn't even like take a second beat to listen to him. Oh, no. Yeah. He, Scorpion didn't need Spider-Man's encouragement, that's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was ready to go. Yeah. It's like Spider-Man's just like, yeah, you know, don't take that from Ock. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, I won't. <laughs> yeah, right. And then the, the one thing about this episode that does bother me is that, like, this is how Spider-Man wins, essentially. But, like, his win is just, like, leaving them to fight themselves. But it's yes. like, like, everybody can still come find Peter Parker again and, like, get their revenge. But... Okay, like, yeah, they're, they're all out. Like, this wasn't really a win for you, dude, but okay. No, this was, like, totally just an escape. It was one of those things where it's like, well, I'm not going to win this, so I got to at least get away. Yeah. Um, but they don't necessarily tonally treat it that way. Right. You know, he's not like, um, we, we don't get the sense that he is looking over his shoulder for the rest of the episode. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, the, the next scene is him just being like, yeah, I did it. Oh, that's great. Wow, <laughs> I not only get got to beat them, but I got to meet a kindly old man, too. Like, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, I love the, uh, <laughs> I love, like, the smash cut between him describing Silvermane as a kindly old man and having little kids, like, legit think he's santa to yep. him like screaming into a payphone like kingpin must be eradicated eradicated it's amazing because we don't even know who he's screaming to and it doesn't <laughs> even matter it's just like he's just raging it's like, yeah. i can't handle it kingpin yeah, yeah. it's good it's good Ah, <laughs> uh, so good well you know who else can't handle the kingpin the insidious six <laughs> <laughs> They startle a cat in an alley and decide to disavow Kingpin as their leader, throwing off their little earpieces and kind of going their separate ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and again, it's still, I I do appreciate that this episode sets the season up now where all these villains are like out and about, like they're not in prison, so they never have to deal with breaking them out of prison again. Yes. It's still weird that like Peter doesn't think about that. (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> yeah he should be thinking about it more and it would have been a pretty easy fix just to have him acknowledge that this was not necessarily a victory it was an escape and so mm-hmm. he might be good for now because he's got them fighting each other or he got away but you know tomorrow's yeah. another day or whatever yep well either way either way he does uh, meet with Felicia the next day to kind of apologize, and he does attempt to reschedule. And she's actually just like, oh, it's fine. It's cool that you missed our date, whatever. It's like, well, I deserve a date, so I'm entitled to a date, <laughs> so give me another date, Felicia, because you're a girl and I'm a boy. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, then Michael shows up, and uh, they're like, no, we're having dinner together every single night. Hmm. 
You know what that means, right? <laughs> I mean, yes, but also, like, it would be totally reasonable for Felicia to be like, Michael, can you just, like, hang out with me all week? Because Peter's being aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But they're yep. smashing. Yeah. And, of course, Peter's like, oh, well, that's awful. He's such a jerk. And it's like, no, you, 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 you didn't show up to a, to a date. Like, yeah. it's, you're in the wrong again. Like, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's your fault, buddy. You're the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, someday he will maybe almost sort of get close to getting it. Yeah, but uh, not it's not today. Her. Nope. <laughs> so Peter ends up then going home to find a worried Aunt May and a worried Mary Jane. Mm. Hmm. So he's like, oh, wow. Like, I, I understand Aunt May being worried, but like, were you also worried about me? And she, Mary Jane, being coy and clever, quickly walks out of the house and says, of course I was worried. Worried about Aunt May. Wink. <laughs> oh, Mary Jane. Uh, oh, <laughs> You're Mary so Jane. fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I feel like that kind of like that rekindles his hope that maybe he can get with someone because if a girl shows any mild interest in him, that means that <laughs> he has a permanent wife and wife and girlfriend now. So. True. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the episode closes on a, on a neat little, little cliffhanger that pretty much is just setting up the whole season arc mm-hmm. at this point. Spider-Man's back with Dr. Connors and he's feeling good. He's got his powers back and he's got, he's got a maybe possible girlfriend. He defeated the insidious six and Dr. Connors, however, reveals that the mutagenic factor in your blood has undergone another transformation. As near as I can figure, whatever turned you into Spider-Man was not a one-time process. It was just the beginning. You're still changing, and it's accelerating. So while I can't tell you exactly what your DNA is transforming you into, one thing's already clear. It won't be human. So can I say that after that scene, I was like, you know what? I really want to know where this story comes from. Like what inspired this season of the show? Because I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew Neogenics was more than likely something invented for the show, but I wasn't 100% sure. Mm -hmm. And I knew that where this is going, where a number of these characters we've seen are going, are characters and events that happen in the comic. But I didn't know exactly how. So I looked it up and I really, really want to (laughs) read the sort of like comic that inspired this because a lot of the pieces and parts are there. Sure. But all of the like causes and the inciting stuff is different. And it sounds pretty wild. (laughs) Interesting. I'm curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I might seek it out. I might have to... uh, might have to pop back onto Marvel Unlimited for a month. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of there's a lot of like 90s and and 2000s comics that I really just like have never I have like zero knowledge of. Like, you know what I though? This read. is like 70s. This was still I think Stan Lee. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, that really surprised me. I didn't expect that. I thought like. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it like like. I mean, most people who listen to this have probably seen the show, but like spoiler, like man spider stuff. Like, is that is that so, where they were working from? But or were they pulling from like the stuff from the seventies? They were pulling from something else. So this stuff. So there is an there's a an arc called the Six Arms Saga, 
in the 70s and it involves peter growing the extra set of arms sure he doesn't full-blown go into man spider i think that was for this show uh based on the sort of like mutagenic nature of things i I thought that man spider was a thing in the comics though i think it is i think it it, i don't know if it is before the show that i'm not sure of but that six arm saga also involves the introduction of morbius um it involves uh spider-man working with dr connors to to try to find a cure for him being spider-man for Mm -hmm. reasons that are like totally unaddressed in the show because it involves characters that they don't use this at this point in the show Mm -hmm. and uh it's just it sounds a little strange (laughs) and kind of horrifying (laughs) it's an well and and i'm it's it's interesting that this is the opening arc of the second season too you know like it seems like such a like I wonder what what made this the choice to be the the, the first ma- major season arc that they do and the thing they do for the second season because the idea of Spider-Man mutating again with the endpoint of him like growing extra arms and turning into the Man Spider is like so out there like yeah. you know uh, I mean it's it's in like the Spider-Man like mythology I guess to an extent but like it's interesting that this was the thing that was like, let's do our serialized stuff with this storyline. Like, compared yeah. to, you know, just like a Green Goblin story or something, <laughs> you know? Like, it's 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 fascinating that they chose this. And I'm not, and, and this isn't like a knock against it or anything. Like, I I think from my memory, I'm, I'm excited to go through it again to see how it's like paced out and how it plays out. But like, to my memory of it, like, it's, it's a pretty solid story arc in how it incorporates all of these elements and everything. It's just fascinating that like, of all the Spider-Man stories that existed for 90, not 90 years, not 90 years, <laughs> but from the 60s to the 90s, so like 30 something years, like that this was the one that they chose to be like such an overarching story that they chose yeah. this early in the show. Yeah. I, I, I would love to, to hear those sort of like organizational conversations to say like, here are the arcs we're interested in. Here's how we want to put them in order. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, I do think I, I was trying to poke around and I think that the man spider version of the six armed Peter Parker like the one that we are setting up to encounter does originate in this series. Really? I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, it's a cursory search, so it could be, I, 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 am going to put that disclaimer on it, but I, yeah, I found a couple things that said, you know, origin animated series. Interesting. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Okay. I'm excited to get to that then. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's entirely possible. I was only looking at like animated stuff but i mm-hmm. i don't think so <laughs> okay because okay. when you search man spider like the earliest stuff that comes up is like six arms saga but they don't specifically call him man spider in that hmm. yeah because hmm. mm. he's just peter we'll see in the come in the week between this is uh this episode's released in our next episode if we are 100 percent completely wrong and we will say that if we are so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I trust your judgment, but we've been wrong about things yes. before. Yes. <laughs> I don't even trust my own judgment, so it's fine. <laughs> sure. I also don't trust the judgment of one of the animators who made one of these faces of the episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There's a point when Rhino, it's on, when they're on the rooftop after the whole debacle with like being disguised as air exhaustion vents or whatever, and Rhino charges towards the camera. I don't understand what I'm <laughs> looking at. 
he's it's 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 like an anime face i guess is the most that i can describe it but that doesn't do it justice it's more like no. anime eyes i guess it's gigantic eyes all of a sudden that rhino yeah. has and everything is like misshapen like mm-hmm. the, even the eyes of the rhino costume itself are like huge and like yeah. bulging out of the sides of his head mm-hmm. and there's so many lines i mean there's a lot of lines on the show anyway but dramatic lighting um just everything's exaggerated like it's it's almost it's not quite to the point of caricaturization art but it like is almost there (laughs) (laughs) yes it's yes very strange it's it's a scary face it's nightmare fuel (laughs) Uh, not scary face the most one of my favorite parts of this episode this came from an <laughs> this legit came from an accidental pause too this was oh, not amazing this was not an intentional screen capture but i think it's my favorite screen capture that i've at least done on this whole podcast <laughs> it's when the hollow cube gets dropped on the skyscraper and turns into a canyon for a second on its way turning back so like rhino's reaction is just to fall down and just like scream and cry basically yeah but, like, the position that he's in at one point when I froze it is, like, a legit baby on the ground. <laughs> like, that's been flailing. Like flailing. <laughs> like, and it's even, like, because Rhino is drawn to be a giant naked man, yep. like, his butt is, like, clear. And, like, you've yep. seen, like, his feet and toes. So it looks like he just looks like a naked baby on the yep. ground reaching out to his mom to help him as he cries and screams. It's that's, ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, I he, love it. It's like a baby in a onesie. Yeah, yeah. That's what he looks like. Yep. Oh, poor Rhino. So many (laughs) things you need to work through. (laughs) We're here for you, buddy. Yes, yes. I love him. (laughs) Boy, yeah, so... This was an interesting way to start the season. I'm excited to be back at Spider-Man the Animated Series because it Me is too. a very it's a very like weird show in a lot of ways like considering how iconic it is, but like there's so many like so many things that don't hold up and so many like weird holes, but yet there's always that like baseline of like quality stuff happening even between some like really awful thing, really awful yeah. things, you know? Yeah. Which I and, and as we've talked about like you know, go back to our very first episode, there was a lot of production problems between, you know, the making of it. So they they were faced with a lot of hurdles and the fact that they were able to create a show like this that has these like really great flashes of genius and it's still really super entertaining to watch in spite of that and in spite of like some really god awful animation, yeah. you know, and everything, like I think is is still like really something worth celebrating and cherishing about this show that they able that they still persevered in spite of all that and made something that is really fun to watch at the end of the day even when these aren't necessarily the best episodes there's the second one especially is still very cleverly written yeah well i mean something has to pave the way and i don't think you typically expect the things that are sort of paving the way to be perfect you know they have flashes of genius and that's what inspires the next iteration of something to improve upon but they're also going to come with certain flaws because you haven't reached you know the ideal yet you still are dealing with what has been done before and the expectations of things if you're going to push the envelope you know you can't you can't always go whole hog right off the bat yeah so there's going to be some pitfalls along the way. Yeah. But when you see those flashes of genius, like they're 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 right there and so obvious. Um and it's it's so clear that they inspire things down the road. Mhm. Definitely, definitely. And I think as a as a as an opener for the season, it sets up a lot of really cool stuff. And even 
like knowing what happens and I f- also not knowing what happens, I feel like you can tell that there's going to be a <laughs> lot of really fun stuff. Yes. Happen. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, they, I mean, they opened the world up quite a bit with, with uh, not actually putting anyone back in prison, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for more. I know. I know. It's fun to be back. Yes. Well, if you would like to see more from us, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, you can get more stuff by visiting our Patreon. Like we said, our commentary episodes are available for free, but there are also other goodies that you can get by becoming a patron. Becoming a patron really helps us out because, like we've said, you know, we're, we're, we're paying for Disney Plus to stream a bunch of these shows. There's also shows that are not available on Disney Plus that we want to cover eventually that we'll probably have to pay some kind of money for and, you know, just be able to get extra equipment, find extra, like, novelty things to, to talk about. Um, unfortunately, it costs some money, so it would be really helpful if you could help us out and support that, and you will get some great perks in exchange for that as a reward. So we would love it if you could go to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers and become a patron today. We'd really appreciate it if you are able to. Yes, and if you would like more of us just simply as people because we're wonderful, you can find us online in all kinds of places. Derek, where are you? What are you up to? What am I up to? I'm on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. Um, you can also find me on YouTube, my show Second Chance, which, um, like we said, like I've said many, many times, still working on coming back from hiatus. I have one recent uh, Quick Take episode out, uh, but I'm hopefully going to have another episode out. Uh, hopefully aiming for by the end of, maybe not by the end of this month, because this month is ending soon, but we'll see. In the month of December, I, sh- I will have another episode out and be back on a regular schedule. That is a, uh, a, a show that's a video essay series kind of looking at divisive or bad media or media considered bad and looking at it through a positive lens and trying to find out why people who like it might like it. What about you, Doug? I am most frequently on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y, tweeting about all kinds of things. Feel free to find me and tweet at me, um, and I will say hello back to you. Also, if you are into Pokemon stuff, right here on the 4 Eyed Radio Network, I am on another podcast called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon as we feel like it, and... We've got a lot that we've been talking about because the latest core series entries, uh, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, came out um, a few weeks ago, I think, at this point, and we've been loving them. Um, So if you want to hear exactly why we love them, check us out over there. Um, We have been trying our best to cover it as much as possible to give you as many different voices and perspectives as possible, so we hope you will enjoy that. And if you would like just more of Walloping Web Snappers in general, you can find the podcast online in a number of places such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Walloping Web Pod, or you can email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. That's actually super helpful. It is a way to help others find us. If you love what we're doing, there are certainly other people out there who do too, and they might not know we exist yet. So if you could do those things, that would be amazing. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. Um, And next time, we will be covering more animated series where Mary Jane is a hot girl in the 90s. So obviously there's going to be an episode where she has a stalker in Hydro Man. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yes, yes. Tackling 
very serious issues, I'm sure, with all of the grace. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. This show will be the one to do that. Oh yeah, can't wait to see it. <laughs> Hashtag Bye. feminism. Bye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Later. <laughs> Yeah, and um, in return, Doc Ock calls Scorpion and Malodius, or Mal, blah, Doc Ock calls Scorpion, our air, AF, Jesus Christ, what the <laughs> fuck is happening to me? This episode really did break me. <laughs>